Hello once again, and welcome back to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale. I am back. I know I've been away for two weeks with some real life stuff, some family and some house hunting. Uh, I will start out by saying joining me today is Joshua Torres. Regular host is back. Yay. No. So thank you so much, Josh, for uh, taking on hosting duties the last couple of weeks. You did fantastic. Also joining me is Adam Vitale. Hello. Thank you, Adam, for picking up last week and the week before for all of the post recording, uh, editing, and getting that all out to the podcast stations and things like that. Uh, we did have we did have an issue with our previous podcast, but it should all be rectified. So if you didn't see one from us last week, it should be there up on Apple and Spotify and all those places now. So uh, if you didn't see it, go take another look. And now let me uh, round out the rest of the cast here. We also have George Foster. Hello, hello. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. And joining us today as a sort of special guest is George Yang. Hi there. So George is a uh, freelance games writer who has actually has a uh, byline on RPG site, but he also does um, news at GameSpot, uh, at Funimation. And uh, go ahead and just kind of give us an introduction of uh, some of the other things that you've done. Yeah. Um, so I spend most of my time um, doing new stuff for GameSpot and Funimation, uh, but I also write at a lot of other different places too. Mostly reviews um, for other sites and interviews slash features. I've been on other sites like Polygon, The Washington Post, uh, Kotaku, um, Wired, uh, a few other sites like that, too. These are some big names that you're just rattling out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it, 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 I started freelancing in like 2019. Um, So it's been like about two and a half years since I started. Um, I didn't expect to, at this far, though, honestly, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. So my main question is, um, what is it like? Because I can kind of glean what it means to, to to write news or reviews for a lot of those sites, yeah. except for like Funimation. What does it mean to write news for Funimation? Like something that's specifically tied right, to right. a publisher um, like that? Yeah, so um, so my I cover most of the JRPG and game stuff at Funimation. Um, I think I think before this year, it was mostly just like your typical like anime news, you know, stuff like that. Um, but I was I was brought on um, to cover some of the more game stuff and JRPG stuff. So like for example, um, you know, so maybe you know news about like Pokemon, you know, um, the Gen Four remakes or stuff like you know Scarlet Nexus. Oh, demos out. Or um, hey, here's you know Shimagami Tensei Five release date. So I handle a lot of the JRPG and game stuff. Um, for Funimation. Uh, well, so you're basically kind of just there. listing a lot of games that we cover here. So I guess this is a decent yeah, thing for us. So. Yeah, <laughs> All right, and because then, go ahead. Uh, and then yeah, so, and then um, occasionally I'll I'll like do like a feature list. Like, hey, here's like you know here's some anime recommendations if you like Tales, or here's some anime recommendations if you like um, you know uh, I don't know Scarlet Nexus, that kind of stuff. So all right, okay, so good okay, time. Give me three animes if I like Tales of Arise. What what anime should I watch? Oh gosh, what did I pick? Um, well, I started off with the Tales of the Abyss. Anime okay, mm-hmm. um, that feels like cheating. Well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so there are three non-tailed animes. Got to list qualifiers now. <laughs> um, well, 
I thought Tales of Arise were obviously fantasy games, right? So mm-hmm. stuff like Fairy Tale, mm-hmm. um, Black Clover, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Okay, um, it's probably worth yeah. mentioning that the like the Tales of Zestaria anime is probably better than the game. I was going to mention yeah. that. I, I've heard <laughs> people say that the best way to experience Zestaria is through the anime. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I agree with that. I I, I thought that Zestaria as a game was okay. I, I love the combat and the armadization stuff, but everything else is just kind of like wired. I mean, my personal opinion, just to get it out there, is I think I played all what fifteen English Tales games, and Zestiria is the worst one. Well, we're actually really getting into kind of like what is going to be the topic at the front end of this podcast, obviously. And it's a, yeah. this is a great podcast for um, Mr. Yeah. Yang to join us. I'm going to call you Mr. Yang just because we have two Georges. And you can't sure, stop me. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, uh, uh, <laughs> that's, totally, that's totally fine. <laughs> so uh, obviously, uh, the big release for the week for our site and kind of in general, to be honest, is the newest entry in the Tales or Tales of series after a five-year hiatus since Bazaria, and that is um, Tales of Arise. So we've talked about this game on the podcast previously during like the, the news marketing preview cycle, uh, but obviously the game is released. Uh, we've had people who have played it both pre-release and just at release as a fan. Um, some of us have been new to Tales, like George Foster, and then some of us have played nearly every game in the series, like I presume Adam and Mr. Yang. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, basically what we're going to start out with and open with. And I I want to get to it, but I haven't had a chance due to the real life stuff that kept me out of this podcast for the last. um, Also, you're deep into Pathfinder, right? Pathfinder is is its own dense thing. There was this other RPG that released in the last couple of weeks that is like the exact opposite sort of game. Uh, That's not going to be the focus of this podcast, but I'll I'll bring it up. Uh, I'll I'll grab it at the end. Uh, But for Tales of Arise, uh, first of all, who here is has either played it or is currently playing it? I'm about like five to six hours into it now, which is still kind of the beginning. Still, <laughs> I'm like at the spot where I've uh, I I barely uh, I'm not exiting like the first fire zone, and I'm about to go to the next zone. So I have like a a, a member with me that is gonna be a party member, I presume, very soon. I just met Rinwell, so uh, that's where I'm at. I'm it's it's weird to say but you know it's a it's a japanese rpg so it's like five to six hours you know so i'm still at the beginning yep yep. right yep um so i've I've, uh completed the game i I got an early code now i should mention that i did not review it for us uh my code was for like guide purposes for our website but our review was written by scott white uh and his reviews on the website he liked it a lot he gave it a nine out of ten uh he especially liked the visuals, of course, we'll get to that later in the combat. Uh, he was a little bit less high on like the characters. He said it wasn't like his favorite cast of characters, but he still said they were good and like didn't detract at all. And he gave a nine out of ten. So he he was really high on the game, and he was he's a really big fan of Tales. So he was kind of excited that he got a chance I to. I think the beginning of the game us. is really funny though, like with the whole uh, iron mask shtick that they do, uh, because you know uh, Alfred, the main character. You don't see his face at the beginning. He has, he's stuck in this iron mask and like he works as a slave and like, you know, that's the only life he's known. So he just he just has like these like dorky moments because he has like in an iron mask and like the people like responding to him. It's like, what's up with the mask? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Good question. If you, got, if you got one of the special editions, you can already like change your costume to get rid of the mask and people will still call you iron mask. Right. So <laughs> that's kind Amazing. of funny. 
So, Mr. Yang, yeah, uh, did I, you um, cover um, Arise for another site, or did yeah, you review it for someone yeah, else? I, um, yeah, I had a pre-release code. I, I reviewed it for Inverse. Um, okay. I got a, I, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, I, I really liked the game. It's, I think it's really good, and I, I love the relationship between uh, Alfin and Xion. Um, and I think the game overall probably has the best romantic subplot since um, Tales of the Abyss between Luke and Tyr. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I was I actually really, really thinking, just to bounce off that idea, um, I do think the two things, the relationship between Alfin and Xion, it did sort of remind me of Tyr and Luke. It's not quite the mm -hmm. same, but both like right, right, right. characters that were sort of like forced to work together they didn't really care for each other at first, but of course, warm up over time. Um, uh, if I remember right in Tales of the Abyss, they, they get like warped somewhere and Tyr is basically like babysitting him. Like, all right, I got to bring you back yeah. home. <laughs> but um, also, uh, so there is a bit of romance in this game. And that actually mm -hmm. hasn't been in Tales for several entries now. Like, Berseria didn't really yeah, have any. Zestiria didn't have any. The Zelia's. Really I mean, Jude was sort of infatuated with Milia, but it wasn't reciprocal. Yeah. And then you had, like, Leia. Leia was infatuated with Jude, but that wasn't reciprocal either. So it's, it's been actually. So there's a bit of romance in this game. And actually. And Grace's you know, F didn't have that really either, right? I mean, you had the childhood no, friend with Cheria. Yeah, yeah, Cheria was obsessed with a Jude, but. And Vesperia doesn't really have much romance either. Like, well. you'd have to go all the way back to, like, Abyss or Dawn of the New World. Uh, so, mm -hmm. anyway, it's just, terribly. like, it hasn't been overdone. It hasn't been overdone, so it's fine. Like, you know, it's I do want nice to just interject it. here just real quick, just before we get into, like, the wheels really rolling on this discussion, is that, obviously, since we have people on the podcast that I've just started um, and then people who are listening yeah. aren't, aren't haven't completed the game either. Like we'll talk about general story ideas about what we think of the cast, what we think of the art, what we think of the voice acting, what we think of the combat. Uh, we will avoid major spoilers. If it's a premise of the game, we'll, we'll talk about it, but uh, just, we'll just, just, you know, giving you, a, just giving you like the, you know, reassurance that we're not going to sit here and spoil the game for you. So thank you. I just got, <laughs> just got done with the second area. So <laughs> I haven't even started. So. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you, George, uh, Mr. Foster. Uh, I know that you had played the um, the the game for preview. I don't know if you had also picked it up uh, on release. Yeah, so I, I kind of had a a mad month of let's just buy every game that's come out. So I was like, oh, WarioWare, oh, Life is Strange, oh, Tales of Rise. So I don't know when I'm ever going to get to it, but it's it's on the shelf. It's waiting. What order? No, is it's it in not. You're never, you're never going to get to it, George. I'm sorry. Nope. <laughs> okay, so. Um, let me just start by saying I think there are two parts of this game that I think are undoubtedly its its strengths, like unquestionably. And one is its visuals. The I feel like the last eight Tales games from Berseria all the way back to the PS2 Wii era, um, they kind of all, in a way, sort of looked the same. Yeah, I know there was like an HD resolution bump in there, but they they kind of all had the same sort of visual style, same animation style, and things like that. And maybe they were even all on the same engine. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it sort of feels like it. Vesperia had the nice cell shading look to it, which still looks pretty nice, and it's like colorful, but it was still pretty simple when it came to like environments, and animations, and things like that. So Tales of Arise, of course, now they 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 got rid of the old engine and now they're using Unreal Engine 4 and obviously this game has been like a huge glow up in terms of presentation in terms of character models in terms of the environment in terms of character animations 
when you're playing the game, things like cinematics, you know, camera angles and things like that, it's all like much, much higher quality, more fidelity, uh, more budget, if you will. And also, it's not just like it's got a it's got a little bit of a unique flavor to it as well. It's not just like an anime art style. It is very anime inspired, obviously, but there's a little bit of like a uh, a watercolor kind of palette in there too, with the environments and things like that. So it looks really great. It fits the anime aesthetic, and it looks just a, a unique enough for it to stand out. And it it's it it's gorgeous. It's a really great looking game. I don't know anyone who would argue otherwise. Like you guys agree, it looks great. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. The like uh, it's it's been fantastic to see just like how vibrant the the game uh, looks. I, I think it just it it exhibits problems that are inherent to like Unreal Engine four, like in terms of like draw distance and level mm-hmm. of detail, like being you know popping up and whatnot. Where you can tweak it on the PC to you know to kind of rectify a little bit of it. But other than that, it's 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 really like great so far. And I'm really. Um, surprised at how fast I've like accepted like the new way they present skits in the game with the whole um, kind of comic manga panel style uh, rigging the 3D models so it's not like 2D portraits reacting to one another but it it fits and like I, I like I, it's weird how I've sort of like come to grow on that really fast already yeah uh, speaking yeah. of the skits sorry let me I'll, I'll get to you in a second um, sure Skits, I always felt like were almost a little bit like in past games, maybe almost too like their interjections or sometimes even too comedic in ways. But skits here, they feel less like skits and more just like natural conversations between characters, um, commenting more on you know what's going on, thoughts, ideas. Yes, there are some silly ones in there as well, but. You know, in in any other game, it, they might just have like the characters, you know, standing in a circle or whatever, uh, talking, and it wouldn't be very visually interesting anyway. For just you know, not not like a major scene, but just for like some general conversations here or there. But kind of just putting it in that skit mold here and there, it's it it just works in a way as a new kind of format for skits. Um, whenever there's just like after a major story moment or whatever, you might get a few, a handful, two or three skits that just are like kind of continuing the conversation, maybe a certain character's perspective or, or whatnot. But it's just, it's nice to get just that additional character interaction, uh, and story perspective, if you will, from the characters. And what were you going to say, Mr. Yang? Yeah. So, um, I was on the same boat. Um, I, at first I was kind of missing the whole, like, you know, cardboard cutout you know 2d skit style that was in previous games um but then i really really warmed up to like the new comic book kind of handle stuff um for arise uh it was kind of like how scarlet nexus handled regular mm-hmm. cutscenes. um that's what it reminded me of at first um but yeah again i i really warmed up to the new style and i and i slowly realized that this new style made it a lot more dynamic um than the old style um so yeah so in the end i really came around to it and as with like the character models i i think like they're like everything's like more realistically proportioned like mm-hmm. everyone like, all the characters you know because i feel like previous games you know, character models they look a little sh- like short <laughs> but here i mean right i think like everyone just kind of looks taller and more evenly proportioned so that was nice 
it is kind of weird that when I think of Tales games, like my mind, I still the first like two that I played were Symphonia and Vesperia, which very much are in that cell shaded, not realistic proportion. And then Adam talked about like standing in a circle talking with just the dialogue bubbles over the head. That's all all those cutscenes ever are. Or like if you remember mm-hmm. what any of the action cutscenes are in Symphonia, like Colette will like throw her ring and it'll just like oh, yeah. hover <laughs> it'll, it'll like hover across the screen. And it's you're you're supposed to just kind of like it's your mind's eye is yeah, your, your your mind's eye is supposed to just fill in the details but now that they have the fidelity to do that and the weird thing about scarlet nexus is that um when i played that comparing its cutscene style to the skit style in arise is that when i first saw that i thought it was like it felt really low budget it felt like it was like a, a way to cut corners and i still feel that to some mm-hmm. extent but after like a couple hours i had I had come accustomed to it. I had kind of like acclimated and it didn't really bother me because it's, there's a lot you can do with that style. And it, if, if what it's replacing is people standing in a circle with dialogue bubbles over their head or, or, or on the bottom of the screen or whatever, then it's not really like you can, you can make it almost more visually interesting that way. I'm not going to say that all cutscenes mm-hmm. should be like this, of course, but it's, I just think it doesn't show in trailers or marketing as, as well as it actually is implemented in, in game where it ends up being fine. Like no, no, I have no issues with it. You know what okay. this kind of reminds me of, and it's in a, it's not a one to one comparison, but uh, kind of how uh, Neo: The World Ends with You does its like conversations with the portraits, almost like in a comic book style as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree, though, that I feel like that I can understand why some folks were a bit worried when they first saw it because obviously that meant that there was like no like hand-drawn portraits for the characters for those skits but in practice yeah i think that the uh 3d model comic book style actually works out better even if it is not what people are used to okay so uh mr yang no spoilers but um who would you say out of the six main characters is your favorite um personally i i felt the uh i felt the cast was decent they're not my favorite cast but like honestly the fact that i didn't want to like kill any of them like in graces or uh, hysteria or whatever is like yeah. they're 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 pretty That's good standard. <laughs> right yeah. um uh um, so who is your favorite character and you don't have to like spoil why if it's spoiler sure. but yeah um no i totally agree with you um like in tales cast is always one one person that i really don't like <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um but in this i think i think uh arise definitely has one of the stronger casts my favorite, my favorite character probably Rimwell, um, mostly because she re- reminds me a lot of um, Rita from Tales of Asperia. Yeah, um, kind, kind of like that kind of a you know um, upbeat spellcaster type person. Um, she also has like a lot of the same mannerisms as Rita. She's even somewhat similar in combat too. Yeah, she used the she, she said blah 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 just like Rita uh, for which, which is a cold touch. Um, she has a magic exam uh, as well. Yeah, and then if, if there's any character that I just wanted to, that I kind of got annoyed with, it was Law, because um, Law strikes me as kind of like that sort of immature type, that like child type, um, but also kind of annoying. But it never got to the extent um, that I felt with some other uh, mm-hmm. tales characters. So um, I, have, overall, I, have a, I have a related um, question for that last comment. Did you play in English or Japanese? English. Okay. Because Ryan is not a fan of Bryce Pappenbrook. (laughs) So I I play most games in English, but I'll play like in Japanese sometimes. Like I'm not 
adverse to it. But so like mm-hmm. I recently played East Nine, who the main character doesn't speak very much, but is Bryce Pappenbrook. <laughs> and then like uh, I don't like his work in other animes that I've watched. So when I heard that Law was Bryce pa- Bryce Pappenbrook, I'm like, all right, when I do get around to this, I might just play it in Japanese. Like, okay, I'll play in Japanese. You're not alone. I, yeah, I don't usually oh, play in Japanese. Uh, I actually, for whatever reason, just decided to do the dub this time. I, I honestly don't know why, but I've been really impressed with the dub so far. Like the voice directions are really good. The uh, it, honestly, it's like one of the better dubs I've heard in a recent uh, memory. Well, it's Ray Chase and Erica Linebeck, who are both, I think, fantastic English voice actors mm-hmm. for the main two. So it's just a lot bugbear. <laughs> just don't put them in my party, right? That I'll just it, it is funny. Like uh, the, the rate, uh, like uh, Ray Chase put out a tweet, and he reminded me that he he voiced like the a primary antagonist in Berseria, and now he's here as like the main hero <laughs> in the next Tales title. I actually well, I was- am just slightly disappointed that. A lot of these voice actors have already voiced a Tails character mm-hmm. in the past. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of wish there was a bit more variety, like new blood. Because, like, for example, Erica Linebeck, she was uh, Magalu in Berseria. Law is uh, Bryce, Bryce Pappenbrook. It was like 10 years ago now, which he was Asbel. He's a much better character than Asbel, at least. Um, so, but yeah, uh, it's the voice production was done by Cup of Tea director wendy lee who ba- they basically have done every game that's why i keep um, uh pro- like uh encouraging you and brian to go vo- to voice acting that you can be the change you want to see <laughs> now um yeah my favorite character you. was dohalim i like dohalim he is he kind of no spoilers but he kind of acts he's he's um he's like upper class uh so he offers a perspective in the game where uh you know, some of your characters are working class or or whatever, but he's like your upper class character. So he offers like a genuinely good perspective there, but he also has a little bit of a silly side where he's uh, he's a little bit out of touch and they kind of poke fun at that here and there. So it, it, there's kind of this both like genuinely like interesting perspective from him, but also kind of just like this kind of fun, like he, he doesn't fit in at times because he is a little bit uh, out of touch. So, but he's he's a good character as well. Were you gonna say something, uh, George Yang? Yeah, um, yeah. For actually, for Doholim, um, uh, Grim Puatu, which is Doholim in the dub, um, he was also in Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade, um, and he is actually one of the more new up and coming uh, voice actors. So, cool. um, hey, who did who did he voice in Intergrade? Uh, he was um, uh, Sonon. I can't say. No, no, no! It was uh, uh, d- d- uh, Billy Bob, Deji, Deji, Deji. He was pro- yeah, Z H E J I E. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. always nice to hear like some of the uh, like upcoming voice. The, the one game that I think did the best at like really highlighting a bunch of up and coming voice actors on the English side, at least, was Fire Emblem Three Houses, because a lot of those names like those are yeah. the first time that I've he- heard them, and then I see them going on and doing a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, so it, it is always kind of a bit like whenever you have like a JRPG cast of six to eight people and you've heard five of them before, it's just kind of like uh, I've heard them before, and that's kind of like uh, the speaking that of those often get. Go ahead. Speaking of Fire Emblem Three Houses, the voice of Claude, whose name I forget, um, he is the voice of the villain in Arise. I want to give him credit, name? so let oh, me yeah. uh, let me get his name. I'm, I'm Joey really Zija. Joey Zija. He's great. He's a yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah he's, good. he's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited to hear, like, uh, after hearing the, uh, you know, positive responses on Dohe Lim, like, pre-release, he was probably the the party member I was interested in the most. Like, I really want to know this dude and what what his deal is. He's, he was really fun in the demo. I really like his uh, fighting style. Oh, man, I'm the opposite. I was keen to see more about Law, but apparently he's kind of annoying. Uh-oh. <laughs> he's he's well, Ryuji. Don't, don't, don't. Well, don't take my opinion on the voice actor. Like, I don't. I'm trying not to dis- disassociate that from the character. Maybe the character's fine. Uh, I, 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 all I, all I know about Law is from friends who are further in the game than me. All I know about Law is in battle, if you let the AI take over him, he's uh he he gets into a lot of trouble really fast. He's always seems to be low on HP yeah. or dead. He, yeah, he's, he's, he's very he's much a martial artist. Guy. Yep. So let's so talk about we... combat. Like we're go- we're going into it now. So combat, I personally think the combat is like top tier for the series and like top three or four entries uh, out of a lot of them. And it's like probably the best combat in the series since Graces. And then Graces would be the bar where you'd have to argue like, is it better than Graces or not? Uh, Going back eight years or whatever. Um, And unfortunately, I just don't I, I remember liking Graces a lot. But it's been a while, so I can't say definitively either way or the other. But in any case, the combat is really strong. Um, one component of it that I really like um, are, and it comes, in, it kind of comes into form in two different ways. Are the, is the boost system? So the boost system for those who haven't played and aren't aware, or maybe not there yet in the game, um, you can have you have you fill up a meter for each character as you're playing through the game and it fills up by like performing combos and you can unlock things in this title grid which we'll get to later that make it fill up faster and whenever it fills up you can have any of the other characters kind of jump in to do a boost and the they have each have a different effect for example um alfin's boost pulls out his blazing sword, which is the sword he gets from Xion, pulls it literally out of his her body, and it it downs it downs an enemy and basically lowers their defense and makes them unable to move for a bit. Where Xion's boost is basically like a spread shot from her rifle that downs any aerial enemies. So when you're taking on aerial enemies or or even like an enemy that's not aerial but if they're in the air, if you do the boost at that time it'll knock them down and keep them vulnerable vulnerable for a bit. Uh, Renwell's boost is a magic interrupt. So when an enemy is casting magic, you can you can have her jump in to uh, to interrupt, and so on from there. But the reason why this system is nice is because it kind of forces you to pay attention to what the enemies are doing, and it is something that you basically have every character is able to to participate in some way in terms of. Uh, adjusting the flow of battle and contributing uh, to it to make enemies easier to get them more vulnerable or whatnot. And a, a real cool thing about it is that even the two characters who aren't in your active battle party can jump in as well. Um, Dohalim's, if you're fighting enemies that are fast, he can like pull out, he like manifests vines from the ground, which will slow him down. And so, like, even if he's not in your battle party, but you end up fighting a wolf, you'll end up fighting lots of wolves. Um, he can slow him down, even if he's not in your battle party. So it kind of makes it feel like every character has sort of an even contribution to that. And then real, real, real quick here, the second component to this boost system are the boost, I believe it's called boost strikes. And these are kind of like, if you play Tales of Vesperia, they're kind of like fatal strikes in Tales of Vesperia, only better. In that you fill up a meter on the enemy, and then even if they're not low on HP, as long as you kind of can kind of fill up this penetration meter on the enemy, 
then you can pull, pull off this boost strike with one of the other characters. And these are sort of like these cut-in attacks where they're cinematic, they look great, and like combo attacks with the other characters. And it basically, it'll, it'll eliminate that enemy immediately and also damage nearby enemies. And it's just like a really cool take on the Fatal Strike system and also makes it so you don't have to always just whittle down an enemy's HP to zero. Sometimes it just makes more sense to fill up the boost or the penetration gauge and do it that way. And it looks really nice. So I think still, both of those I, components are really good. I still can't get over that. Like, uh, uh, what are your stats in this game? In this game is penetration. You have like a, a penetration. We're all adults here. <laughs> <laughs> Penetration stat. That's like here you go. Yeah. The, which, which, char- which character is the best what? at penetration based on their armament? I'm gonna assume the Dolly. I don't know. I'm cool. going that far. <laughs> okay, so I have a question that this might seem like not really that important, but I am curious about it. So I remember when this was very first demoed and at some Xbox showing years ago, E3 2018, 2019. I don't even remember. 2019 uh, was when it was announced. Oh, okay. And I remember people find people like they they saw a brief glimpse of the overworld and it was showing like Alfin's back facing a sunset or something like that. And people were like, are they finally doing overworld combat? And it turns out that wasn't the case. Uh does does that really matter? Does it does it still feel good to to have like the bespoke combat arenas where you run into an enemy and there it is? Like do, do you even think about that at all or is it fine? It works. Um I played on PC and uh you know with a nice PC the load times in and out of battle aren't you know they're nothing. So it's no big deal. I think I think uh, I remember playing Zestiria, which actually had the enemies like appear yeah, on the map, so, and sometimes yeah. that didn't just work very well because there'd be like you'd be like in a small room in a cavern or a sewer, and you'd like the camera would fight you. So I think it, in terms of like camera perspective, it's nice to have that dedicated battle zone where you know you're not going to like run into a wall with your camera or something like that. So also, it works. Because, not- uh, I, I'm still, I'm still, I still like having RPGs that have battle transitions too. It's just kind of an old timey, unique, yeah, antiquated feeling. Just having a battle transition. Well, kind of related to t- to talking about like hallways versus arenas or whatever. I remember one of the things that I liked least about Bizaria and also Zestiria was dungeon design. It was like you'd have like a general palette of like what the area is. Like you're on a riverbank or you're in a uh, you're in a literal dungeon, and it was just like wide hallways with 90 degree angles oftentimes with without any there was very little in terms of puzzles in terms of like any sort of like gameplay involving movement you just walked through them and that was kind of it and they're very bland how does tales of arise deal with quote-unquote dungeons or field areas where you would expect to fight enemies does all right make sense? i'll answer um <laughs> yeah uh i was waiting to see if someone else jump in but um so there are no puzzles really, or they're very light. They're barely anything. So it's not like it's definitely not like Symphonia or even like Vesperia in terms of you know unlocking doors or or what have escorting you. Shadows. Which I, <laughs> escorting shadows. Escorting shadows. Nothing like that. Um, I I do don't I don't mind puzzle dungeons at all uh, as long as they don't go overboard. Which is a Symphonia has a lot of good dungeons, but they do go overboard a few times. Um, but here I will say. This game has been in development for a while, and they clearly spent a lot of time with asset creation. So every area in the game looks unique. You don't have to worry about like Bizaria, where it kind of feels like every field area is the same, 
um, with like a slightly different coat of paint or whatever, or definitely like Zillia. Do you remember how in Zillia there's like this, there's like this open field map that was yeah. like, it, it like copy pasted like 10 different times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, or like, or the yeah. ports. It felt so, too big also. And like, even yeah. though like the ones themselves like aren't that big, it felt too big. Like, it's like, oh man, it feels like 10 miles to get to the next area for some reason. Yes. So, but in any case, aesthetically, every area looks unique. So they, they clearly spent time like making, like literally creating the environment for each area. Dungeons themselves, they are pretty much still just, um, there's no puzzles that you're just kind of running in halls from room to room or sometimes in like a path, like, you know, a trail that there's a couple of, you know, branching paths or sometimes there might be a ruins area with, a, you know, a little well that you can jump into to do to find like a chest or whatever and so there are some chests sort of off the beaten path and uh you actually do have to look around a little bit to find them some of the dungeons are a little bit um labyrinthian in terms of you can either go left and right and there's like two different paths and some lead to an optional path with a chest at the end and things like that so no no puzzles or anything but it's definitely better than just you know copy pasted like hallways um so it's kind of halfway in between you know, Berseria's, which is not very good at all, or something like Symphonia, which is sort of puzzle dungeons. So it, I think it's pretty nice. And you don't have to worry about feeling like you've been somewhere before, because they all look pretty unique. I think my one, yeah. like, early game complaint right now, of course, I'm still early in the game, but, like, it's it's very picky already about, like, when you can and can't fast travel. So let's mm -hmm. say, for example, like, I have to go uh, consult with Doc, this guy named Doc, about this medicine i'm like okay let me go over to the dock and i can go fast travel to that area it's like maybe two zones over and i was like okay i just want to save time so uh, i go to him about it he's like ah well you know the since the soldiers are enemy soldiers are not here anymore you, to, you can go to the garrison and see if you can find something i'm like all right so let me go to like the one zone over and try to find it and then I found the the medicine, and then I'm like, okay, let me go fast travel back to him. And then, like, just for some arbitrary reason, I now cannot fast travel back to the guy. I have to go like, uh, uh, go like through that zone again, and just it's like it's like not a big deal, like in that in this one isolated instance. But I, I'm wondering if like if it'll continue to be picky about fast travel in that sense of like you can go fast travel here, but if you try to do something else, it, it, there are actually there are actually a handful of dungeons. And George can, you know, check and make sure I'm not mistaken here. There are actually a handful of dungeons where you, like, you go through the entire dungeon and get to the end. Yeah, and you yeah. fight a boss, and there's a little bit of story. And they're like, all right, time to go back. And for some reason, it doesn't let you fast travel back. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I'm um, thinking, and I was thinking at this point, like, oh, maybe that's just because on the way back, something's going to happen. And, you know, I need to, like, yeah. I need to, like, trip the trigger or whatever. But then, like, nothing did. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, why did you make me run yeah. all the way back? I don't know. <laughs> like, through the dungeon. Exactly. It happens yeah, like twice, that, I that think. Like, and I'm not sure why. Go ahead, George. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Because like, you finish the dungeon, then you got to go back to like the city to like, to, like you know, get the uh, to progress the story. But but you can't just you know fast travel to the city because there's a cutscene um, in the area right before the city. So you have to trip. You you have to trigger that cutscene before you can go back into the city. So you have to end up actually manually, you know, trying to have to go back to that to that same area, um, which is kind of annoying. Um, but you can. But I felt like in this game, it's a lot easier to um, to 
run away from enemies uh, in comparison to other games because when you run away from a battle, the the overworld, the enemies in the overworld, um, that particular battle disappears. Okay, I haven't tried so that you don't have to yet. So. Worry about like you know them appearing again. Um, but yeah, that was a small annoyance. Um, and then one thing about like the boost strikes, um, they're really cool. Except the the one thing that I did not like was um, how how few of them they are because there's like I think like twenty or twenty one in total. And by the time I hit like the halfway point of the game, I had seen them all like multiple times. Like I like I got tired of seeing like any Tiger Blade for like the fiftieth time. <laughs> There's more more variety of three strikes. Yeah, it'd be nice if there was like two different ones per pair, mm-hmm. right? Or something. Yeah, I can definitely already feel you on that because it feels like it's almost random. Like when you choose a character for a boost, well, for the uh, combination strike, like which mm-hmm. character they will partner up with. So it's like mm-hmm. when I pick Law, I want him to do the one with either um, uh, Shion or. Rinwell because it looks cool and yet he always does one with uh with Alfin and it's like oh well that's not as cool wait do you, so do you not there's also one on other thing do you not get to say on who like if you want if you're playing as Alfin and then you do the boost strike with law I assume that that's would be the two that would pair up is that not how it works you pick one of the six characters so you pick like law and then which boost strike you get will just be one of the six that Law oh. can do, or five that Law okay. can do. So, mm-hmm. because, it, you know, it's just any of those pairs. I think it is random. I don't think there's any... Besides, you pick one of the characters, and they sort of just randomly decide who's going to be the one that joins them. So, But one other small thing about boost strikes is that's yeah. a little so bit... That, um, I don't know why yeah. it works like this. When you're ever, There's a couple of enemies in the game that are, like, big enemies, or bosses, that they don't really have, like, a penetration gauge... And they only can you can only do a boost strike at like their halfway health point, and then you do the boost strike, but it doesn't actually do damage. Did you did you see that, George? And I I don't know like why that was the case. Like you get a boss to um, half health, and then you get a boost strike, but it just basically allows you to go to the second part of their health bar, but it it doesn't actually like do anything else. It's just I'm not true. I'm yeah. not sure why it works like that. So yeah, um, that a little bit. Weird. There's like one or two bosses where. Um, yeah, so you would transition to quote like phase two of the boss or whatever. Um, and but in order to do that, you need to trigger like a very special um, strike. Um, the annoying part of that is is that um, that you can't do any damage until that like any additional damage until you activate that boost strike, right? right? So 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 if I keep hitting the enemy, the penetration doesn't go up. Then my damage will keep doing zero 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 until until that until that um, boost strike comes up. And then I transition to the second quote quote phase of the boss, and um, then now my attacks will start doing damage again. Um, so that doesn't happen very often. I, I think that's like maybe one or two bosses. Speaking of bosses on a more story perspective, like what do we think about this game's like antagonists in general? Because I know in some other Tales games, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, that a lot of times Tales games don't always nail their antagonists. Like there's some that are better than others, but oftentimes it doesn't feel like that's what you remember the games for. Does this game do anything? We're getting a little bit into spoiler territory here. Don't worry, I'll be careful not to say anything. But the lords that you fight 
Um, so if you've started the game, you know that your goal is to take down the lords. Um, most of them aren't really, they're just minor bosses. Like, you take out Balsef at the very beginning, and, you know, he's, he's introduced as, like, a powerful person, and he's kind of a brute, but that's, he's just sort of, you know, your first early game boss. Um, not, you know, doesn't, he's, he's kind of out of there within five hours. But um, the most important lord is the last one, which, if you haven't met yet, you haven't met yet, but he is probably the most important villain in the game, in a way. I don't want to say yeah. much more than that. So I, I would say the villains in this game are not—they're not fantastic. They're, 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 in some other in some other Tales games, you get villains that are maybe like foils to the characters, like in Abyss, or you get big characters like in Vesperia. You have uh, General Alexei; he's kind of a a megalomaniac sort of villain. There, um, there's nothing quite like that. But uh, I, I would just say they're 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 not a strong suit, but they're not. Eh, they're, they're they're fine. fine whatever, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, more than that, though. Yeah. I always put Tales of the Abyss as, like, the, the, like, for me, the villains in Tales of the Abyss are, like, the gold standard when it comes to... Oh, you know, I don't RPG. agree. I don't agree. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 let me I, guess. I, let me guess. Let me guess. Well, Your well, problem with Tales of the Abyss, Brian, is that it's too <laughs> formulaic and that they're so perfectly paired. It's the fact that, that they are paired. Like I would, you the the two that you mentioned, I would prefer like the megalomaniac General Alexei type versus mm -hmm. like this is um, uh, Anissa's uh, foil, and then this is Tears foil, and this is or whoever. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel I, like I there's other that. series. I yeah, I, I can see kind of why you would like it. It's it's tidy. Mm -hmm. It's neat. It's very. It's yeah. very. You can yeah. put things in nice boxes. I feel like a lot mm -hmm. of times. Like the Trail series, Kaseki series does this as well. Maybe not as much recently, but like I think of second chapter, like the way that that tower at the end works, where it's like, oh, this is uh, this is the person that's <laughs> pitted, pitted against Zin or, or whoever, uh, or um, oh, yeah. Sherazard. Make sure to have that party member in, in that fight, or else you won't get a special cutscene that that uh, pairs them together in that scene. Yeah, to, I, even yeah, even though it's kind of basic, but I like. The Alexei type versus the the character foil type, or the yeah. like the 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 person that you're supposed to be sympathetic for, but they have a different viewpoint, and therefore they're like they're not evil. You, we just have to have them like like the, the, sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like they try to pull on like your your emotions or your heartstrings a bit, and it's like oh this is a tragic you know this person was led astray in their youth or whatever, and sometimes like or it's someone like Duke in Tales of Vesperia, where it's like I never really got the um. Like why couldn't we just have hashed that out over like some coffee? Or Duke something? is just Duke is just like extremely stubborn. He's like, no, we must destroy everything. Sorry, <laughs> I mean, I mean, agree to disagree, but yeah, I mean, that's as it kind of why I thought Vesperia was incredibly boring. I really hated the villain there. To be honest, um, I don't. The villain. <laughs> is he like He's the Lion King or something or what? Who is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I hated that guy. I hated his backstory. I hated his reason for being. I, uh, God. <laughs> Personally, I don't speaking. We've we've talked about Jillia on this podcast a few times and how like I don't I'm I'm willing to have someone come in and like stand up for Zillia or not Zillia. I'm sorry, Asteria. Um, I'm willing to have someone come in and like stand up for it and fight in its corner but i don't think anyone has yet so that offer that offer stands <laughs> if you if, if you want if, if you know anyone who wants to defend hysteria uh 
Apparently, we need to group watch the anime, man. There we go. So what else have we not covered on uh, Arise? We've talked about the, the, so, the combat in the fields. We've talked about the story and the characters and the villains. So um, one nice other component to the kind of like a subsystem to the battle system are the titles. And in a lot of Tales games, titles are just like a collectible. You do a certain sub-event or what have you, uh, or sometimes throughout the story, and you just get a title for a character. And most of them, just they don't do anything. Sometimes they have like a costume attached in older games, but here, but and sometimes they didn't do anything. But here, the title system is is kind of derived from Graces in a way. It's sort of like a Graces light. And if you haven't yeah. played Graces, what Graces' title system was was you had like a lot of them. It was like a hundred uh, titles. It was a lot. And if you if you did fire damage or took fire damage or did electricity damage or did other sorts of attacks or motions in battle or things like that, you would sort of build up a title gauge for that sort of action or defense or what have you. And it would sort of allow you to do more skills or maybe give you more passive abilities or more defense against fire or poison or what have you. And so it was sort of a way to build your characters in a certain way, depending on what they what you did with them in battle and what they encountered in battle and things like that. Uh, Tales of Arise isn't so like you know granular like that, so in depth. Each character gets fifteen titles. Some of them you get through the story, some of them you get through quests. But each title opens up like sort of a mini grid on their title, like sphere grid. It's almost like a sphere grid from Final Fantasy X, um, only much simpler. And it allows you to give them certain like abilities, like literally arts that they can use, and. Uh, sometimes different bonuses, like for example, you might unlock a space that allows you to that fills their boost gauge more quickly, or like if you do a ten hit combo that fills the boost gauge a bit, or whatnot. And so that's a pretty cool system, just to allow you to tailor the characters just a bit in terms of like, oh, if I'm using Kisara, Kisara is the uh, the general character, and she works a little differently because she doesn't dodge, but she blocks with her shield, her giant shield. And you can do a lot, you can get a lot of abilities and passives for her based on like, when you do a block with a shield, it raises her boost gauge a bunch and maybe gives her a free counterattack and you can raise her counterattack uh, damage from her gauge and things like that. So it's kind of, it's a cool system that just gives you a, gives the player a little bit of agency in terms of, you know what, I like doing these sorts of things with this character. So let me unlock these skills first. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I still think it, the, the, the game does suffer the pitfall that a lot of action RPGs still can't wrap their head around of like, when I'm playing a certain character, can you just like give like cheater modifiers to like the AI because they can't fend for themselves? Can you like make them so like they have like a, like a plus 50% defense modifier or something so at least they're like not, not helpful in damage or at least helpful in survivability and whatnot. Like I kind of wish more action RPGs is like kind of had the conceit of like, okay, well, you know, the AI is not going to ever really be that useful for you. So, like, in a game like in Arise, like, early on, when you don't have the ability to use a boost strike with a down member, you know, so now you have to, like, balance, okay, I have to keep this AI alive because I want to have access to their boost uh, attack and whatnot, and it, it I can I can already foresee that be, being uh, a frustrating thing from where I'm at. I'm, like, I'm just preparing for it now. I've played some like MMOs where it's like uh, that 
if you're if a if you have like summoned enemies or a ranger pet or something where they take like only a fraction of the damage they normally would yeah. because they're not they're not going to help you that much dealing damage but having them just die instantly because it's tuned for like the player controlling them it just doesn't feel good so yeah just give them just give them like plus 50 percent armor if you're not controlling them it's not really going to help you but it's just going to make it a little bit less frustrating i guess uh who is the favorite character to play as for you george because i think we talked about a couple of the others but not not what you or did you or did you say uh rinwell who said rinwell <laughs> well well for me rinwell um for me rinwell is my favorite in terms of like overall like but like personality as a character oh, okay um or for gameplay wise i just stuck with alvin just because you know <laughs> sword character adam, i assume play. adam did the same i mostly play as alvin but dolim is really fun too um, he's really fast. He's got a lot of, so s- different characters do have a little, some slight gimmicks to how they play. I mentioned some of them with their boost, but like, for example, Dohalim, he, he, he fights with like a quarter staff or whatever you call it. Right. But if you, so this game does also take another page out of Grace's book where if you dodge an ability at just the right time, uh, it gives you an opening to do a counter strike for a lot of characters. It's just a counter-strike and they are pretty powerful like relative to a normal hit but dolims if he dodges his you know magically his quarter staff like increases in length and damage so when you're actually playing a dolim <laughs> it's the sort of thing where i'm just going back to what? the penetration stat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> think goku's like powerful think goku's powerful or whatever okay. and so but it's a sort of thing where when you're playing as Dolim and he he you know he he's pretty like flashy in terms of you know swirling his quarterstaff around doing a bunch of hits and whatnot he can like shoot little energy beams from it and whatnot but if you dodge an attack at that time you're kind of feeling like yeah uh because now your quarterstaff is uh longer it's more energetic and you can it just does a lot more damage and critical (laughs) hits so um it's kind of just a cool little gimmick to his gameplay uh in terms of that um I, I think I think it's a shame though that kind of they kind of went back to the Berseria well a little of like I, I uh, like if you if you don't if you leave Alfin uh to his own devices as AI he kind of just kills himself because his whole gimmick is like hey if you want to oh, do yeah. a bleeding sword it'll drain his HP and it's like oh so it's the velvet thing again where if I have him in my party and I'm not controlling him he's just gonna kill himself <laughs> cool. like um law gameplay wise law is really good because he just hardly ever gets hit for me um he law also has a lot of skills and abilities that allow him to um enter over limit a lot more frequently than other characters basically law he has like his awakened state so the more so the more hits he lands without getting hit um he can enter like an awakened state where his stats are increased um and then there's like a bunch of abilities where it's like you know in awakened state he he um he achieved over limit more and um and because of that um by far law is the one who to me can fire off the most mystic arts and you'll um, see his mystic art quite a bit <laughs> yeah yeah especially if he's ai controlled um yep. if he's AI, if he's ai controlled law will always like enter over limit multiple times during boss battles and then and then just do his mystic arts you know uh, mm-hmm. when when he's able to he does he still does die somewhat often because he's I always really, up yeah. and close but is he does he, uh, he, character who doesn't he, die often uh Shion is decent because so Shion's thing is that she fights with a rifle and when you're playing as her 
I actually didn't play as her much, but she, you can shoot these. She has actually like a set of bombs that she can throw, like like energy bombs. Um, and if you throw them and then uh, attack an enemy that are near the bomb, it can, you can do bonus effects and things. And she seems to do pretty well on her own with that. And because she's fighting from a distance, unless the enemy is specifically targeting her, she does a decent job staying alive. Um, so <laughs> that's her thing. Do we have any other um, final comments on... Uh, go ahead, George. I'm just trying yeah, to see so, like, if um, we're like, exhausting all yeah. of the dialogues on this, but what are, your, what are your final thoughts on what you've right. uh, um, experienced with the rise? So, for me, um, I really like how uh, the CP system is handled. Uh, so, you know, in previous Tales games, um, you know, there are characters that rely on, like, MP, and if you drain your MP for each individual character, well, then you can't use any of those, you know, cool flashy attacks anymore. Um, but here, um, it uses AG instead of um, any sort of MP, and AG, and AG covers on its own. Um, so you never really have to worry about conserving um, your attacks. You can really just fire off as many um, arts as you want. Um, but you still have to worry about CP management, um, because you need that for healing and stuff. Um, but that's relatively easy to recover, just by like sleeping at an inn or a campfire. So I really like that. Um, in order to balance that, um, in this game, orange gels are a lot more expensive to purchase uh, compared to other games. Um, yeah, so I really and like that, the CP system. And that system with the AG is similar to what Grace's, or not, not Grace, yeah, Grace's had, right? Mm, uh, yeah. like Grace's was like CC. Yeah. yeah. It's more like mm. Berseria with a soul gauge. Ah, uh, okay. Right. And we did. We remember. The, we I know there was a little bit, bit of the, there was a little bit of hubbub about the. Uh, and this might be what you're getting be, at yeah. about the uh, about the C about the CP the cure points when you use them on in the field. Turns out it's kind of a big no deal no no big deal at all. Uh, it's honestly not a very interesting mechanic. It's just like sometimes on a dungeon you'll see a room that's like covered in fire, and you say, okay, I guess I'll spend thirty CP to have Alfin put his sword in there to like absorb the fire, and now you can enter an extra room. Um, sure, there's like an item in there, but it, it was never like a decision you had to make. Like, should I go into this room or not? You always will. And then if you need more CP, you can always use an orange gel. Or if you're if you're if you're out of, let's just say you're like completely out of orange gels and you're completely out of CP. Like, what do you do? It's like uh, just fast travel, sleep, buy some stuff, and then usually there's a fast travel point somewhere pretty close to where you already were. So it's no big deal. It's okay. kind of sure. Yeah, it's it's not a very interesting mechanic. Just okay, fine. <laughs> Any other final thoughts on Tales of Arise before we move on? It's uh, a very oh, like uh, it, it's overall. I think I, I like the game a lot. I I'm especially fond of the combat and the visuals and the story and the characters are good enough for me. It's it might be my favorite game of the year so far. There's Shin Megami Tensei Five on the, uh, coming up. We'll we'll see how that how that shapes up. But it's it's especially after you know the last several years of Tales. Berseria was a bit of a rebound and it was better, but it still wasn't fantastic. I think this game is like the shot in the arm it needed, the state the series needed. So I'm definitely it's it, I'm definitely interested to see what Bandai will do from here. But yeah, it's a great game. If you like Japanese RPGs or action RPGs, pick it up. Oh, I do have one final thing to say that I thought was really cool. So okay. on our website, uh, Kite, who is our translator, uh, he did he. So the Tales of Bosque is Yusuke Tomizawa. I did an interview with him a couple weeks ago. Uh, he did an interview with Famitsu, 
And one of the things he said in Famitsu that I thought was really cool was that he he noted that there are we have a uh, speaking as him we have a fan base of of players a player base and some people will play these games more for their combat and subsystems versus like the characters so those are the types of people that don't go to the like the tales fest because those are more focused on the characters and whatnot so he was he was like considering doing these like what if we do these panels or whatnot to talk about like the the gameplay components and how we put these together and how we put the combat together and i just think that's like really observant of you know the the brand producer of a series to be like aware and observant that some people really dig into the characters and relate to them, but some people will play these games for the combat mechanics. And Tales has always been that action RPG series. I just think that was really cool for him to like consider that from his player base and be observant that there's a variety of things that people might latch onto for these games. Yeah, and and apparently, you know, the just the Steam alone, like Arise, has been shattering records for the series, which is unsurprising but cool to see. You know, oh, yeah, a I lot remember of people on board. I remember someone saying, like, I remember a couple of weeks ago, we said Monster Hunter Stories 2 was technically like the highest, most concurrent played JRPG, like above Final Fantasy 15 uh, on Steam. And now Rise has just broken that again. Like, at a, it's like 56, 60,000, something like that, concurrent peak for JRPG on Steam, which is like higher than any other one, which is. Yeah, put in perspective, like Monster Hunter Stories 2 just a few months ago broke the concurrent record for a JRPG on Steam. Well, with an asterisk. Not counting Dark Souls, because it is technically an RPG yeah. and it is Japanese, but um, yeah, by a pretty decent amount, because I think Monster Hunter Stories 2 like, peaked at around like 35,000 or something like that. So, Also, uh, I remember when Scarlet Nexus came out, Scarlet Nexus didn't seem to set the world on fire. It's a decent game, but I remember people were comparing that to Code Vein, another amount of name code game. Uh, code Vein seems to have done pretty well, and it's concurrent on Steam is in like is like thirty three thousand. So similar to Monster Hunter two or stories two, where now, you know, Rise has blown out all of those basically. So it's it's doing really well uh from all uh perspectives here. It seems Help, like helps that it seems like the Steam the PC port is pretty good for most people. I know as always mm-hmm. there's certain people that have you know PC ports are like that, where no one's experience is the blueprint for everyone else's. But it's, it seems like out of the people that I've known that I've played it on PC, all of them have had a great time. Yeah, um, once I saw the PC config menu, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get it on PC because once I well, when I played a PS5 demo, I'm like, this motion blur has to go somehow. <laughs> So George, since uh, George Yang, so since you were obviously interested in coming on this podcast to talk about Arise, I want to hear like what are your final thoughts on the game? Yeah, um, I think it's really good. Um, probably the best Tales I've played in a while. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it will slot in in one of, in my game of the year list um, along with other titles. Uh, you know, I I loved loved East Nine. I loved Scarlet Nexus. I loved um, Neo: The World Ends with You. But Tales of Arise is definitely up there for me this year. What was your high watermark for the series before Arise? Or maybe um, still. Well, Tales of the Abyss is still my favorite one overall. Um, okay. But I, I, I did, I did really enjoy Berseria, um, especially Berseria's cast. Um, I, I really liked how kind of anti-hero they were. Um, so I did enjoy, I did enjoy Berseria um, quite a bit. Um, but Tales of Arise for me, 
on a whole nother level. I think it's probably the best entry. Uh, I, I think it's the best the series has been um, in a while. So it sounds mm-hmm. like you and Adam kind of have like a similar take where it's like we all, not all, but generally agree that Bazaria was a good game, but like the line between good and great might be Bazaria to arise. Now, obviously everyone's opinion will be different, but it just seems like right. it kind of t- it took the time it needed to really like refine itself, reinvent itself and take that next step. So Bazaria was mm-hmm. a rebound, like Adam said, but arise really is kind of like something that you can, you can truly recommend without any of like those uh, caveats or, or footnotes. Yeah, yeah, on to the future with the uh, Tales of Luminaria, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like they're really going to double down on that. Uh, in that same Tomazawa interview I mentioned, it seems like what his for, uh, like philosophy was, was, well, we obviously can't do a Tales of Arise every year. You know, we can't make a game like that that quickly. So they're going to like try to do, you know, more frequent new Tales mobile games. And like I guess they're doing that's why they're doing they did Crystoria just last year. It's not that old. And they're doing Luminaria soon. And I guess that's just sort of the the idea. And he also did say that um they are interested in doing more remasters and remakes. Uh maybe not remakes, but uh, ports. I so hope that one day they bring over a Tales of Rebirth because I, I heard it's good and I really want to play that one. I own it. I own it, the Japanese version, but I haven't played it yet. I have played a little bit of the Destiny remake, which apparently is very, very good. And from what I played of it, it is, you know, that CC, it goes back to that 2D style. So very different. But, like, who knows? Um, when they when they re-released Vesperia, they obviously re-released, or they released for the first time in English all the new content for it that we never got before. Um, so it'd be cool if they took a game that's like from the PS2 era that we did not get in the West, like HD remaster, translate it for the first time and release it. Like that would be, it'd basically be a new game for us, obviously with the understanding that it's not a brand new game, but it'd be very cool to see that like in two years or whatever. So before the next brand new game. Hey man, one of these days, anything's possible. One of these days, I should finally import Tales of Innocence R and see how it is. Because I've heard people say it's legitimately a really good Tales game that we just never got. Which one? Uh, Innocence R. R. The other oh, uh, Vita Tales game that we didn't get. Okay. That everyone I've like heard that's played it says that it's the one that we should have gotten because yeah. it's better than Hearts R. Hearts R is not great. Yeah, Hearts R it, is pretty. I, I think I scored that a 5 out of 10. It's, Hearts R too. Yeah. Before anything else, fuck these people. If no. Chow was here, he would give a shout out for the real Tales of Destiny 2. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do that for him in his stead. Ah, look, I still have a soft spot for Eternia. I want Eternia before anything else. I don't care about anyone else. Eternia is I played Eternia not that long ago. Like for the PSP version, which oddly never released in North America. So yeah. I have to, I play the European version. And that game is really like for the 2D style games, that's it's pretty good. I love Eternia. Uh, some of like the dub stuff is kind of iffy, you know, for that PSP era, but the game itself is pretty good. So, so based on we've had a number of people on staff that have p- played through Arise uh, or are currently playing through Arise, and outside of um, the review up on the site, we've also got uh, a series of guides talking about the side quests, the uh, the owls that you have to find across the map, a few questions about costumes and things like that. So uh, they've been working really hard in getting these guides out and um, kind of just collating all of the all the things you could possibly want to know as you're playing through the game so those are all also up on the site 
So I didn't want to talk about this at length, maybe five or ten minutes, but um, the reason why I haven't played Tales of Arise outside of life stuff is because I've been playing Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. So this is another one of those, the the current definition of CRPG. It's the isometric Baldur's Gate-ish style Western RPG following up on 2017's or uh, 18's Pathfinder Kingmaker. So... I know that this is a kind of a game that's not really the sort of uh, what our site focuses on a lot. We tend to focus more on the Japanese side. Uh, but this game is the sort of thing that it's like, I don't know, Adam has watched me play it a little bit, is that it's just so damn dense. Where it's like, if you are a numbers nerd, if you are a, a lore nerd, if you like reading a, a ton, uh, this game just has it in spades. Almost like too much in terms of kitchen sink approach. So like any game, of this style you start out by picking like a class for your self-generated character because it's a you basically create a character from scratch and if you don't know pathfinder the tabletop game like i do uh sorry like i don't there's like 30 different classes to pick from where you'd like do any of you know what the difference between a warlock a wizard uh a witch or a sorcerer are because apparently those are four very different things uh in pathfinder and then apparently also each class also has um, a bunch of subclasses that you have to pick from. I'm not going to get too much in the weeds, but basically this is a game that you have to play through very, very slowly, very, very thoughtfully. And that's kind of why I'm still poking my way through it. It's just because it's like it's like swimming through like pudding. Yeah, What's all the game short, though? Like, I think this game has also been doing really well on yeah. Steam. I think its concurrent numbers are like in the 40,000s. Like, that's really good for this, you know, isometric CRPG style game and a lot of people like who are in that realm and i'm interested in this game it just i know what's the the previous game was really really long like 100 something hours but um it it seems like it's doing well they said that it sold like 250,000 copies in its first week which was i think they they the way they worded it was the launch concurrency was double that of kingmaker a few years ago so it's doing better and people seem to have for like a, a relatively new ip right this isn't this isn't tales that has 25 years of history it's like this this well, see, this um well i mean maybe the tabletop did but in terms of well the video i games, guess i guess the history is is that dungeons and dragons 3.5 edition i think it was 3.5 people hated so pathfinder kind of <laughs> like spun off of that to be its own tabletop game and then these are the first two video games i think to license the pathfinder ip kind of like how Baldur's Gate licenses dungeons and dragons um i do think that for I, the righteous it's in a better spot to release because a couple of years ago you were competing with divinity you were competing with pillars of eternity you were competing with tides of numenara where now it feels like you've got this pathfinder game and then you have the early access of Baldur's Gate 3 which is kind of just out there doing its own thing so i feel like it's kind of got a good window for the style of game for people that enjoy uh these kind of tabletop um conversions to video games one thing that i will say though about wrath of the righteous is that it does do a similar thing with kingmaker one of the things that kingmaker did that a lot of people were either okay with or didn't like i don't think anyone really loved it is that it took your classic real-time with pause or turn-based combat where you control a party of five or six and you you know one of them's your druid one of them's your paladin one of them's your whatever um and you go through the different stories and events and dungeons but then on top of that it layered this like kingdom mode where you had to like 
get territory and build cities and things like that, or it kind of felt like very kitchen sinky approach where it was like, I don't know if I even want to do this. Can I just have like the computer take care of this? And eventually they basically said like, yeah, you can set the difficulty to this to like super easy. Um, and then it'll take care of itself. And Wrath of the Righteous kind of does a similar thing where like I'm playing I'm about 10 hours in and then all of a sudden it's like you've unlocked the crusade mode where you like have to form armies and like give them generals and have them march across the map and fight demon hordes. And I'm just kind of like, I'd rather just like have less is more. Like, can I just like not do this and just play the game? Because the kingdom mode, the kingdom mode from what you told me and from what I watched of you, it, it, it almost just feels like a separate game, right? It doesn't really integrate too much with the rest of the game is that the case or not maybe not as much as it should it it did kind of it it almost felt like just another way to fail because if your kingdom like morale uh and i assume if your crusade army morale falls too low you lose you fail the game where if you if you are diligent and careful and you like make sure you always get the resources you need and you 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 never lose a fight or you 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 know you, you manage it appropriately you might get something like when you're in your home territory you get plus one to armor just like okay i suppose that's better than the alternative it just doesn't seem like it's really that worth it um and in in the crusade mode in wrath of the righteous i think it's like if you win certain fights you might unlock certain areas of the map hopefully um it's just one of those things where it's like i just don't enjoy that so it's it's almost like heroes might and magic which i've never played but i've heard that's what it's compared to it's it's not even that i want to get more out of it for my for my um team or whatever it's just that i don't find it as fun like i want to play an rpg i don't want to play this other game layered on top of an rpg so maybe i'll warm up to it um but i don't know if i missed it how how far are you into this game like in terms of our account like 10 but i kind of get the feeling that like in order to play through pathfinder kingmaker it was literally like 80 to 100 hours and i have a feeling it's going to be the same here so it's it's a commitment, really. Um, I will say that the writing in terms of role playing is actually really good. And I'll just give one example because I'm already kind of going on longer than I intended. So just one example. So after you do the prologue, you are basically um, you're given you, you have new powers. You've unlocked your mythic path, which I guess is a pathfinder kind of progression system. Uh, and the queen who is basically like someone who's several hundred years old, but is like kept young by magic, basically says, like, I'm I'm enlisting you as the general of my army to to clear the demons out of the world wound which is basically like this blight on the world uh think like east origin where all the demons are coming from and it's your job to clear them out because they've been a, a nuisance for centuries or whatever um and then you can kind of tell her like why you know you're you're imbued by magic you're like blessed by the gods how come you don't like you don't ever lead your forces into battle. You have the option to say that. And obviously you have your normal alignment, like good, lawful, chaotic, evil, whatever. So I made, I actually had my character say that. I said like, how, like, like you, no one respects you if you're just barking orders and not like leading them on the field. And then she showed up in my camp later, basically disguised as a knight. And she said, remember here, I'm not the queen. I'm now Katrain the soldier or whatever. So me making that decision basically added a character to my not my party but to like my encampment and then on top of that i had a storybook scene on the map where this game has a lot of reading where it'll actually kind of give you like uh some prose to read like a couple paragraphs about like what you notice and do you want to make a diplomacy check or do you want to make an athletics check or thing like that and in some of the prose that i read it actually referenced that you know 
the knights looked on with you as you gave your speech, one of them unknowing to the rest, the queen or whatever. And it's like, oh, so they must have they must have bespokely had that ready for people who made that option. So I think that that's kind of where this game really shines or has a capacity to shine, where it's like you're not just picking Paragon Renegade, like you're actually picking things right. that will eventually weave through the game and hopefully pay dividends. And King Kingmaker actually did that pretty well, is pretty good as well. So it's a very different style of game. Uh, it's one, it's also one of those things you sort of have to. You might have a you might have like a tendency to want to min max in a way like I need to have the perfect outcome and make sure I pick the perfect choices to get the ideal case here. But you sort of just kind of have to accept, right? I'm going to make a choice, and it might turn out to be like a choice that helps me or hurts me or you know changes things in a certain way. And you know there is consequences to things you do. And you may not have perfect foresight to know that. So are, are you finding yourself kind of wishing that you maybe made some different choices or? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm playing when I'm glad that I'm playing this game when it's relatively new. So I'm not tempted to be like, which choice gets to be the best ROI or, or whatever. Right, exactly. I, can just, I can just make like I can, I can actually just legit role play based on my own convictions. And get what I get. I optimize everything. <laughs> yeah, you need to write a guide for this. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not writing a guide for this. But there's like there's there's already been some cases where like there's a choice and I'm not sure like what what the best choice to make was like so um, there's there's this demon uh, there's this demon huntress who basically had like she she ended up enthralling like a succubus uh, a dwarven soldier and in this process um, in the past this dwarven soldier basically condemned one of his cities to ruin because he fell for this demon and it basically it eats at him everyone disrespects him no one like he wasn't slain he wasn't punished to death but basically this guy is completely a pariah um and then later in the game he basically falls back into the same habit where he's gonna betray you again and it's like at that point do you just kill him like is that the appropriate thing to do at that point he's a traitor he'll never show his true colors or do you say like let him live we'll take out the demon and maybe that'll cure him but at the time, what are, what are your losses going to be if you let him live? Things like that, where it's like there is no clear, oh, this is the good guy option and this is the bad guy option <laughs> sort of thing. So it's really good on that front. Um, so I, I hope that uh, my, my, my lasting hope is that when I played Kingmaker for the first time, when it first came out, it eventually fell apart at the seams. It just got like I couldn't even complete it. It was just so buggy, so broken. So far, Wrath of the Righteous has been significantly better, not perfect. There's already been some times where like my character like animations are are off or they disappear for a moment. And I've heard it gets worse the farther in you go. Um so Hell yeah. Just just another excuse to take it slow, I guess. Hopefully it'll be kind of like uh grommet laying down the railroad tracks and they'll just be fixing up all the bugs as i approach them <laughs> I, have two, I have two quick comments one i know i know i have a couple of friends who are really interested in this game but they actually just made they flat out made the decision i am going to play pathfinder wrath of the righteous but maybe in like december <laughs> just like yeah. give it time um but also uh you know these games are just so dense and varied in what you can do you just you, unfortunately that's just kind of the uh an outcome of that is there's just so many different uh, permutations and things that can happen in a game that like there's just going to be places that things aren't as polished here or there and the, it just needs that extra it's going to be look it's going to be the game where uh, you'll play you'll start playing it but there's no other releases because that's totally the landscape we live in it's like oh there will totally be a time when video games stop releasing i'll finally be able to come back to this game or get this game now right yeah, yeah sure <laughs> 
I still need to make time for Yakuza Six at some point. But my experience is Yakuza. <laughs> I still need to make time. For, I still need to make time for the entire Yakuza series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's one other game that we had earmarked here to talk about, and I think it was uh, Mr. George Foster who brought this up. Hello. hello. Uh, or was this you? Was it, were you the one that was interested in talking about uh, another recent release, Life is Strange: True Colors? I hope uh, that's I actually right. both. Both George both Georges. And I. Yes. All right. Let's uh, have, I guess uh, let's foster first because you I'll haven't had a chance to speak yeah. a lot. So, uh, what's your experience been with uh, Life is Strange: True Colors? Uh, so, I'm only. This is kind of the running theme: is I'm only one chapter in. Like, I finished the first chapter. <laughs> I guess well, it just came out, right? Maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I played it a little bit last night, um, and I ended up like just rocketing through the first chapter, and I'm really, really enjoying it so far. Uh, I haven't been. I like Life is Strange. Like I liked the first one. I liked the second one, but I never like fell in love with them or anything. I know there are people out there who call them like the best narrative-driven games ever, which is Disco Elysium, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't. I, I've never like I've never seen them as like special like some people have. Uh, but this one, from what I've played so far, I don't know what it is about it that's changed. I guess it's just I just find it more interesting. Um, well, and that's well, really where I'm at at the moment. But let me just jump in real quick. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but this is the first game where they actually had like mo-capped characters, right? Yeah, I don't think yeah. the previous games yeah. did. They were just ADR. So you I think tell. that probably helps a lot in terms of you know animations and character faces and all that compared to previous games. So it also it also helps a lot that this is the first Life is Strange game that's not being released episodically uh, on yes. the initial mm-hmm. releases. Uh, at least has the full story in there from the get-go that's a big one for me it's uh life is strange 2 hit me hard with that where i was like oh, i'm really interested in this and then like the next couple of episodes came out and i was like i am no longer like as invested whereas this one i'm like no i, I will i will probably see this through to the end i will probably like keep wanting to play it uh, i think that's the danger of episodic huh. anyway uh other george yeah, how do you yeah. feel about it yeah, um so i reviewed it for gfinity um I, I I really do like the game. I think it's probably the overall strongest um, entry so far. Um, what I really liked about it um, was actually the implementation of um, the main character's power, Alex Chen. Um, so her power is like empathy, right? Um, so she can see like auras and um, and like see like the different colors of people's emotions. Um, I don't want to get like spoilery, but um, George Foster. You're, you finished the first episode, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the heartbreaking yeah, yeah. bit. Yeah, that has happened yeah. to me. <laughs> so you remember the part up in the hill, you know, mm. um, where, you know, where Alex uses, like, her power with the kid, yeah. right? So I'm not going to get into details of that, so, so you would experience it. So you, you guys can experience that yourself. But the way the power is implemented, um, it, throughout the game, it puts Alex in really interesting like creative scenarios um because when she because another facet of her power is that if if the other person's emotions are incredibly strong and those other person's emotions can actually overtake her and and then as a result she can actually see the world through the through like the other person's eyes right and mm-hmm. see what and see what they're feeling and so throughout the game that allows that allowed for the developers to really like be creative in terms of how, um, like in terms of like the set design, 
um, for the for the Haven Springs town. Um, so I really like that aspect of it. Um, another thing that's really interesting is that the the, the character um, Alex Chen, she's Chinese, and so I'm Chinese as well. Um, but it was really interesting to see um, how much like her being Chinese didn't really play a huge part. Um, uh, like a huge part in into the plot. Um, you know, like like you could swap Alex with like any other character of like another race. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting because a lot of plots that involve like people of color, there's always some sort of like cultural angle to it. But here, um, there really isn't. So, so that was really, really interesting for me. At now, least. where does this take place again? Like the game, is uh, like Haven California, Colorado, which is like so. Oh, so, Haven okay. Springs is a fictional city, but, but okay. like yeah, it's a it's a made up city in Colorado. Well, it's yeah, because so I'm I, white. I'm white, but uh, like whenever you have like a character that's a minority, like you don't want to obviously stereotype them. But I always I, wonder, like, do you need you want to like acknowledge somewhere that they yeah. might be a, like like they are Chinese and make it part of yeah. their character in a way right. rather than just you know, right. nothing at all. Same yeah. thing. Same thing. If a character is like you know queer in any way, you don't want it to be the absolutely singular, stereotypical, defining thing of the character. But you don't right. want to just ignore it. So, do you think it hits that balance pretty well of um, being a well represented Chinese person? Yeah. So so. In that aspect, it, it doesn't really hit on her being Chinese, like, really at all. Um, there's okay. only one part at, like, the very end of the game where, where you see something with, like, Chinese letters, but, but like, that's literally it. Um, um, but that also brings up the discussion of, um, you know, like, like, do we need, like, that kind of angle? And I think, uh, like, you know, like, like, do you really need, like, a cultural like 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 some sort of like cultural in, like um indicator that you know alex is chinese instead of just like looking at her um right and the way that like this strange true colors approaches it um i don't think that's like a necessarily a bad thing right. um because like you know chinese people you know people of color they can just exist as they are right right um mm-hmm. so 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 even though um there's no like I'm gonna say like compared to compared to like Life is Strange too, for example. Right, right, exactly. Or, like, yeah, right. Actually, mm-hmm. compared to Life is Strange too, because Life is Strange too with um with the Diaz twins, it was very steep in like the political climate at the time. Um, but True Colors just kind of doesn't touch on that at all. Um, which I think is totally fine. Um, personally, because um mm-hmm. because not every person's like, life experience. It's the same, right? So, like, like if Alex Chen were a real person, um, Alex Chen, you know, like, if she was a real person and she went through all those experiences, you know, in Colorado, doesn't make her any less, you know, Chinese than me, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Because she's, yeah, no. she's still Chinese and she still exists, you know? And so I, I think the way Life Strange Colors approaches it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was just really interesting to note because it also reminds me of um Morgan Yu from Prey. Um oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He, we actually yeah. we actually reviewed that on our like, site. Morgan being, a, like not outfit for yeah, it at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. So 
Morgan used the main protagonist of Prey, um, and and Morgan is half Chinese, um, but there's really nothing in the game that really like like there's no event in the game that like is like steeped in Asian culture or, or anything. Really, the most of the most you get out of it is like at the very beginning of the game where you look at like Morgan's room, you can see like you know things from his from his from like from their culture, like the Asian culture. Um, like scattered around the room and stuff like that, but that's pretty much the extent of it. Um, well, also, so his that, family, is, is his cousin or or his or her because Morgan can be male or female. His cousin or his brother yeah. is is a major player in the story there as well. Um, yes. I, but I think yeah. I see what you're getting at a little bit. So obviously, I'm I'm trying to uh, look at this, uh, trying to enlighten my own viewpoint because right. I'm also white. Uh, so I've played right. Prey. I have I, I've played Prey. I haven't played Life is Strange: uh, True Colors. But it's, Prey mm -hmm. is interesting because it's a it's a game that you typically play in first person. So you might argue, and you saw this when cyberpunk came out like who cares what the person looks like but it's like then why not have it like why can't it be a chinese a half chinese person like let's just do it let's just and they, they exactly. can have this experience uh and read and understand and have the same sort of like progression through the narrative that prey presents or alex chan in life is strange so let's just go ahead and do that and exactly. we don't we don't have to tie it to their identity in the way that life is strange 2 does uh we can do that that's also another mm -hmm. option and i know that some people uh, i know one person in particular that swears that life is strange 2 is the best of the series of course at the time they said that uh true colors didn't exist yet uh but it's just like all those options are available so it's cool that exactly. uh, true colors kind of takes just uh, a different approach to it exactly yeah and um and i really enjoyed life of strange 2 as well especially with it's like commentary and stuff like that um but you know life of strange true, true colors takes a different approach it's a different game so you know i'm totally fine with that approach too mm -hmm. How about uh, how long is, uh, is True Colors? Like, you know, so it's not episodic and whatnot. Yeah. It's a little shorter mm -hmm. than... Um, I, I think it's a little shorter than previous games, but I think it could last you maybe a good 15 hours oh, okay. if you look for like gold and everything. Fun with me. Yeah. Forget yeah. to finish a video game, George. <laughs> it's been <laughs> so long. <laughs> George, how many hours? Just to have mention, you, uh, just to mention, <laughs> three times, <laughs> twice flat. I was just going to mention that Tales of Arise. It's not as like long as some of the previous games in the series, but it's still a good. Let's just say roughly fifty hours. It's you know, yep. <laughs> like right, standard, so, you know, length. All right, it's, it's not as bad as like Vesperia that gets you know to like the 60, 70 hour mark, especially if you do more. But so if you want a brief yeah. experience, you play uh, True Colors. If you want a, yeah. a standard RPG experience, you play Tales of Arise. If you want to lose your mind, uh, you play Pathfinder. Pathfinder. It's fucked up that it sounds like the Tales of Rise might be one of the shortest RPGs I play this year. Uh, I, I remember when I had I reviewed a game that was a, it was an indie game that was about 25 hours long. Uh, it was that it was a game from the Grimrock devs. What was it called? I don't remember. Uh, and I said, uh, is a brief 25 hours and someone's like that's not brief so i, I got at that point i kind of like self-reflected like when you write for an rpg site your your expectations are kind of skewed i uh, actually specifically remember when nino kuni 2 was releasing a few years ago that game was short for for a japanese rpg like in the 30 40 hour range like short at 30 hours <laughs> like okay 
I was, uh, man, I finished uh, Hajimari this week and it's like, oh man, 65 hours. That's that's short after Cold Steel 3 and 4. The indie game I couldn't think of uh, was Druid Stone. Decent game. Brief 25 hours. And now we're going to move on into the uh, the topical section of this podcast. Uh, so thanks to everyone that was here to discuss their experience with Tales. Um, thanks for listening to me blather on around uh, Pathfinder. And uh, we got a little bit of cool uh, insight and discussion uh, from different perspectives about Life is Strange. And then obviously all the uh, Tales of Arise, the review, the guides, even the news leading up to it, it's all up on the site. So go check that out. Other than those releases... The big headlining news for the week was obviously the, for some people, long-awaited PlayStation Showcase 2021. Some people expected that this would show up around E3. It didn't happen. It didn't happen in the next weeks. We were all kind of waiting for it. Finally, it was announced that it was going to happen here uh, in this last week. So I gave everyone their hopes and dreams. Everyone yeah. was satisfied. There were no complaints. <laughs> uh, I was happy. <laughs> It was, it was it's it playstation's interesting because like on a direct playstation studios front in terms of rpgs we often kind of have to stretch a bit like we cover horizon which is kind of like open world action game with some rpg flavor uh but in recent years they've also really been pushing a partnership with like square enix properties of course being like final fantasy 7 remake and um now forsaken sorry forspoken i'm gonna say forsaken at some point and not catch myself just so you know um so that made an appearance uh and then there's some other there's some other square enix news uh that came out during this week so i'm going to talk about the non-square enix rpgs that are kind of taking like a similar approach to uh being playstation 5 exclusive at least on the console front uh, and then we'll keep all the Square Enix news kind of together and then we'll roll we'll around it at the end so here is the big surprise for me, from my perspective, from the showcase, uh, even though it was only really just a teaser and a logo, and that is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake announced for PlayStation Woo! 5 and PC. So uh, I remember, here's a little bit of a, of a short story. I remember when I was on a high school band trip and we were in an airport. And for some reason in this airport, they had a video game store. It was a different time. Uh, and on the um, on one of the walls, they had Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic for PC. And for whatever reason, I bought it on a whim during a high school band trip. And I kind of fell in love. And Adam actually brought up in a chat earlier today when, uh, or sorry, yesterday, when we were talking about this announcement of a remake of this game originally from 2003, how it's so interesting how... Knights of Old Republic is sort of like a seminal game for that style of Western RPG because there's so many things that kind of can draw their lineage back to it, either whether they're directly Bioware titles or not. And it's a Star Wars game of all things. You almost don't think about that consciously. At, at, at least, at least <laughs> I don't. I mean, I mean, yeah, because it has it has things like uh, it has things like companions and like you you have like affinity with characters, which you know obviously becomes a Bioware staple. Yes, I know Baldur's Gate had that a bit, but it came to the forefront here. You know, obviously choice and consequences, light and dark side choices in terms of you know that predates Pre-Rally and Renegade. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it was a, clear, uh, this remake is not by by bioiders from Aspire. No, movie. it's not. Yeah. That's 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 an interesting component of this announcement. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so um, some some of the details in the announcement is that uh, Aspire Media, who worked on doing a lot of the uh, kind of like the modern releases of some of the uh, legacy games from the Star Wars universe, like Republic Commando, Jedi Outcast, Jedi Academy, um, they have gathered veterans from the industry to work on this Knights of the Old Republic remake, and they're getting assistance both from Lucasfilm Games as well as from Sony. So that's why it's going to be um, exclusive to the PlayStation Five on the console front. Uh, and then there's a whole press release here that yeah, I haven't and, really... And, 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 and they're wording on it is it's console exclusive on P- PS5 at launch, so down oh, okay. the road. yeah. They did announce it, it. it's coming to PC as well, and you'd imagine Xbox is just later. Yeah. Um, now, maybe I'm a bit of a grognard, but I actually kind of like like the the quasi-term... <laughs> I say that in Derek. Most true. <laughs> so so uh, this is true of Pathfinder, and it's true of Natural Republic, is that it's, it's very much like a real-time with pause, uh, basically an accelerated turn based where you will take your action uh, and this is how the original Knights of the Republic worked. And based on your dice roll, based on your chance to hit, based on your weapon, you're wielding, you like, you will either hit or miss. And then if you hit, you'll deal damage based on whatever tools are in play. And For what it's, it's worth, Knights of the Republic is literally foundation is still D and D like literally. Yeah, it yep. is. Which is not surprising because Bioware came from doing Baldur's Gate. Uh, exactly. And, I actually have never had a problem with it, but it's also kind of what I grew up with. If you play Natural Republic now, it can feel pretty stiff because it's like you swing, they swing, you swing, they swing, unless you have like a haste effect or something, where basically we don't know any details or only like the vaguest details about how like this remake will either preserve that or completely throw it away which if, i'm okay if you I'm okay. look up yeah, if you look up if you look up asper media job postings right now they are asking for people with action rpg experience all right i'm not surprised but, all right. <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess i just hope that like so action rpg is a still a very broad right. term like action rpg yeah. like tales is very different from something more like dark souls um, which is much more slower and deliberate, and I think a bit more stat. Like the the statistics of your gear, or your character would play a bigger role in a in a Souls game versus a Tales game. And I'm not saying Tales game they don't matter, but your your lightsaber attack will be R one, and to lock on it'll be R three. That's what I. <laughs> that is just that is just Jedi Fallen Order, right? <laughs> this guy. That's how, how dare you speak a Kortor like that? <laughs> but it's we. I wonder though. Like it'll be. Like this is a party-based game. You have your main character, and then you have your your at least in the bait in the original version, you have your two companions. So yeah, maybe it maybe it will be more like Tails. I don't know. Maybe uh maybe Bastila will go in and get herself killed because the AI controls her terribly. I don't know. Uh, but I do think like part of the reason that this game was so heralded when it came out it was that it was a it was a different sort of. It was it was high budget at the time, like Star Wars story of an interesting take that wasn't tethered to the movies at all, um, which is, I think, something that they kind of lost in the year in the I feel like after this game came out um, and obviously its sequel, there was like that period of time where every single Star Wars game was somehow tied to the Clone Wars. I'm just like, why? Yeah. No, no one cares about this. Like, can't we just do another I'm one? That like, all, all, all the people who like Clone Wars are going to come after us now. God damn. Uh, uh, my, my views are not associated or completely separate from Brian's <laughs> views. Uh, <laughs> asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> I do think, though, that like um, the story of Knights of the Republic, first, I don't want to spoil it, even though it's 20 years old, 
is really kind of basic. I think the more compelling thing about it was just more the delivery, uh, just the way it was presented. The voice acting was really good for the time. Um, it was, you know, it was cinematic. It was, it was nuanced, and obviously, it had the big revelation in it. Even though, like the actual plot, the plot, plot point to plot point wasn't that great. Uh, the Star Forge is a stupid idea. I'll just say that. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, but so I, I do wonder, like, are they just going to leave it as is, leave it as a product of the time? Or are they going to try to, like, sh you know, just gussy it up or, like, add nuance? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they should, because, like, nuance plus Star Wars doesn't usually work anyways. Uh, oh, like, no. The KOTOR had, that's the thing. <laughs> No, uh, well, I remember. I actually in my, in my news reporting of this, I called it a reimagining, but that was like my interpretation of it. And someone actually pointed out, like, I hope it's not a reimagining. Um, the way they specifically put it, you know, let me let me pull it up here. Um, is the remake is completely rebuilt from the ground up for a new generation of players? So, so it's not a remaster, okay? Not a remaster. They're doing it from scratch, from the ground up. Like, is it going to be super duper faithful? Like, where you literally go to the same places with the same quests and whatnot? Probably not, but oh my God, you're you know, how much flexibility do they have? You're just reminding me about that interview that they did the, at the PlayStation Showcase. I think it was like Sid Schumann to one of the developers. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the very first question after that, re where it said the logo uh, on the logo remake, his first question was like, so is this more of like a remaster or... <laughs> I think that was I think that was very obviously supposed to be a leading question. Like, here's your yeah. chance to say it's not a remaster. So, um, but he 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 did ask the question that I was, you know, I like when this rumor first came out, I didn't believe it. Because this was sort of rumored ahead of time, because the rumor was that Aspire or I guess it's Aspire Media, which sort of makes sense. I always read it as Aspire. Aspire Media. Aspire. 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 Okay. Uh they they like you like Brian said. They've mostly done ports. Like they ported PlayStation Two, GameCube era games, and you get the rumor that now they're going to make a remake for PlayStation Five. It's like really this guy, these guys. Like they haven't really. This all they've guy. done are ports. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and one of Shit Schumann's questions was basically, "So you guys have done ports, and now you're doing a remake. So what's up with that?" Uh, he didn't ask it quite like that, but um, <laughs> there the uh, the answer pretty much was yes. We understand. We hired on experts, including, they're very vague about it, but they imply that they have people who worked on the original games in some capacity. They say they're in cooperation with LucasArts, or whatever you call LucasArts now. Um, is it Lucasfilm Games? I think uh, I so, I yeah. what they call it. But, uh, and then also in Sony. So they say they're basically, they've hired the people and have the right uh, collaborations to do it. You know, they're just like, trust us, we can't. So we'll see. We need to have a separate show where we try to remember like these interviews and like from memory and not, and just like just have that. It's like this is what, what they basically said. If I remember, <laughs> yeah. you, you can completely what? trust our paraphrasing. Here. Yeah, yeah. Shit, Schumann seriously asked, "What's up with that?" Like that, he, he asked that guys. So um, <laughs> one thing that I'm sure. actually. So this is gonna. This is a very me statement, I think. But one thing I'm actually kind of bummed by this announcement is back in 2015. Nigel Old Republic 2, which obviously was famously un incomplete when it released, um, it actually got like a 
a polishing pass on its PC version that made it like widescreen, uh, made it uh, mod friendly. It kind of tied in if you wanted to some of the optional fan restoration projects. It was really just kind of like a nice quality of life to be able to play. Uh, just just to mention, Aspire Media is the one who did that. Oh, really? But they never yep. did it with Nice Old Public One. So right now, if you play, if you go to Steam or GOG and you download Nice Old Public One, I believe that you can't play it in widescreen unless you go to Nexus Mods and fiddle with files and like you i'm sure you can get it to work just fine but it's not convenient or tidy out of the box natural republic yeah, 2 it's, it's, it's the it's the is. 2003 game basically yeah. so so uh i'm just sad that like what if i want to experience how the game originally was and now that's well, not probably gonna you happen can. Yeah. Well, you can you can still you can still buy the original version on steam right now but it's just it would have been nice to get just that the polishing, polishing pass, pass that the second game got. Um, well, the second game arguably, I mean, not arguably, needed pretty much more, yeah. absolutely needed that more. But still, it'd be nice. Are we are we expecting a Kotor two remake? If this will probably <laughs> sell very well, I Kotor two. If you haven't played it, it has some really good characters. Uh, yeah. Shout out uh, Kreia, especially is kind of oh, like okay. a really is a very good sort of anti-hero villain exactly. villain really but very different type of villain so i'm excited a villain this, who's in your party for the most of the game so. yep uh but mm-hmm. as i didn't say this clearly but this is just a teaser very very little it was a little bit of voiceover from uh jennifer hale who played bastila in the original game uh no announcement for release window or anything just coming to playstation 5 and pc which is understandable based on how much we saw and it's just this is just kind of like announcing it to the world so uh, we'll keep this one in our back pocket and i'm looking forward to it despite all the hesitations that i had about all the things i mentioned another game that showed up at the um at the playstation showcase that is a playstation console exclusive but not from sony studios is project eve so this is a korean action rpg similar to the in the vein of something like near or near automata that we did originally get the announcement for about two years ago. And we have it covered on the site actually. Uh, but then it kind of went quiet since that point. And the announcement two years ago was pretty much kind of just like another teaser. Here, it was, like, it was the, almost a recruitment call. Like we're yeah. making this game here. It is come work with us here. So I didn't watch the stream, but I do, I did watch this trailer, you know, pulled out after the fact. And it's kind of an interesting, like four minute, which is a pretty long, gameplay trailer with story elements and dialogue and cutscenes, and yeah that's uh, that's what i was getting at i kind of felt like after like two minutes i'm like yeah i get the idea yeah i get it (laughs) uh it it does i do see the near influences i don't know if that was intended or if everyone's just making that same comparison because it's sort of like action rpg post-apocalyptic failure of humanity to to prevent the wiping out of their race or whatever um okay the the weirdest part of the trailer for me because my first thought uh like as the trailer ran on, like when she, when she, when the this character goes out into space, and then like it goes, it, it zooms out to like this like space station kind of platform with like a weird sort of like wing thing. It has like basically, it looked like the Final Fantasy thirteen logo to me. <laughs> I looked at that, I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably worth mentioning the- that this studio, this studio is actually like headed by. Uh, let me get make sure I get his his name right it's yep. kim hung tae uh and he is the artist he's an artist that he he did like magna carta a mobile game destiny child um very popular korean artist and so like it's his studio as like the head um 
you know, dev of it, uh, Korean-based studio, obviously. Now, I will say, when they did the trailer two years ago, it did say PlayStation 4 and Xbox, but, like, after enough years, you wonder, like, is that still the case? Like, that might have been just, you know, wishful thinking at the time, but they confirmed it for PS5. I'm not sure if they've confirmed any other platform at this point for it. I Seems do want to like read since the, it showed uh, up at a PlayStation, since it showed up at a PlayStation uh, event, that it might be another one of those console exclusive at launch sort of things. We'll yeah, see. I do want to. I do want to read just the sl- the small part of the press release, just to just to kind of give an overview of the premise. So, in the not too diff- in the not too distant future, mankind is expelled from Earth after losing the battle against the invaders called the Natives to win back Earth. The player becomes Eve, the survivor of a paratrooper squad deployed from the colony who must fight through powerful enemies with new comrades. We invite you to join Eve's adventure in the face of unknown creatures on a desolate, destroyed Earth. Uh, so that's the premise. And the, 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 the gameplay trailer really shows that. I actually thought that like the character model here is very generic. It feels like it's pulled out of something like Maya, like some sort of like animation suite mm-hmm. and just kind of like plopped into this game, like without any like accounting for whether it fits the world that it's put in it feels that's kind of what my feeling like i think the, the environments look really good and i actually think that the creatures that she fights in the demo actually remind me a bit of scarlet nexus like they don't just do like tenderly yeah. monsters or goblins yeah. they really get creative like one of the last things she fights is like this golem with like a tire that has spikes on it for a head kind of thing that's like placed horizontally <laughs> like it's really donut. creepy stuff like yeah it's a donut head only it's like a donut with teeth and razor blades and, <laughs> and like it, they did this thing that josh mentioned where it's like tendrils on a space colony but then you pull it out and it looks kind of like a wing instead of like tendrils and that is what i actually thought like was the most interesting p- part about the uh, trailer was that the care the not the character design but the enemy designs really felt like they were creative they were creepy they didn't just go to the well uh that i believe so um i believe they showed um i saw this a bit and i don't have it in front of me unfortunately but they actually like model these characters like in sort of a clay style like at their studio to like design them which i think is cool like rather than just like in a, in a in a you know program. Go ahead, George. Have you guys uh, played Black Desert online? No, but Fred is very very deep into it. So I, I yeah, I've so it. yeah, so it's a Korean MMO, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like, and and so I, I feel like the main character in Project Eve was kind of pulled out of you know um, the, the character, character. Like, like desert like like desert uh, Black Desert online because. Like, yeah, they're very similar. Like, um, I know in like Korean games, they use like a lot of celebrities and like K-pop stars, yeah, and, like yeah. skins or like guest characters or whatever. Um, and, and and the character in Project Eve, the main character, I mean, she looks like she was pulled in from like another Korean MMO, and she she had that very stiff, like I, I guess very typical like pretty K-pop idol looking face. And design like she's like this very very petite like Korean woman. Uh, one of the headlines in the blog thing was blood comma blade comma and dot 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 beauty. Yeah, I, like this trailer did not make was not shy to focus on her various assets. Like that's very blunt of me to say, but it's just kind of true, which I'm fine with. Yeah. Like that's whatever. But the thing that bugs me more is that it just doesn't look like she fits the game she's in. Like there there have been other action games that have. That that this that inspired yeah, this game that have order. that have attractive characters, but they like they feel I feel like there's a better mesh there. Where here it just kind of feels like 
they have a character that they like the look of, they have a world that they design based on this cool premise that they had, and then they just kind of and smash together. together. And yeah. then, like, it just feels weird to me. And then also, a part of this trailer that kind of annoyed me is that they, they do like almost like the, uh, like the, I don't know if James Bourne is the right thing, but they do like a lot of like the speed up, slow down, zoom in, zoom out, like try to make the action very dynamic. And I kind of just wish they just like, can you just play it at 1.0 speed? No. from the actual camera perspective you play from for a little bit like can you stop speeding it up slowing it down just try to make it like look how stylish this is i just kind of oh, wish it had whole, that's the whole theme of the fucking playstation showcase like please show gameplay and like the only one that does like gran turismo it's like okay thanks uh. this, this, this game does show some gameplay that looks unedited but it has so much flashy like are you impressed yet and like oh, sure this looks yeah. nice but, but i don't know um it seems fine i'm gonna be honest this did absolutely nothing for me. Like I, I was I was watching it with some other people at the time, and they were like, "Oh, this looks great!" And I was like, "I don't see this. I, I see it as a like it could be really good. Like this is me just being negative and boring, I guess. But I just saw it as a hodgepodge of different things, like Bayonetta and Near, and it didn't really like feel like it stood out to me at all. Um, I'd be happy to be proven wrong if it is game of the year whenever it comes out. Awesome, but right now I'm like, meh. All right, so that uh, congratulations. You gave them their clip. You just have to get that cut that clip. You saying game of the year for this game, and then <laughs> it's done deal. I feel I like this th- trailer for me, um, mm-hmm. like just based on my impressions on the trailer, just solely going off that. I feel like when Project Eve comes out, like I-, I could see it getting like like cool gameplay. It looks flashy, but like mediocre story characters. That's kind of the general vibe I get from the trailer. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, one yeah, thing that also that I think is overdone is that this has like she has like someone speaking in her ear. Like, is it a float? Is it like a pod or what is it? But like, I don't like that uh, sort of thing where it's like. Eve, this is a whatever. You have to do this. This is your objective. <laughs> Someone always like speaking at you, <laughs> kind of like. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's just uh, it's oh yeah, it is like a floating sort of pod thing. It looks it has like it has like twin thrusters on it. It's kind of weird. Like that to me is just kind of overwrought. Where it's like you have like some sort of like someone delegating. What Let me explain what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather it be more like a Metroid game where it's like you're there. Maybe your character can have not other own. Yeah, not other M. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe your character Eve in this case has like her own opinions and thoughts, and maybe she even talks to herself. Uh, but I'd rather have that than have like some other person like oh, I know more about this than you do. So let me explain. Like that to me, that's just really a, bl- a bland she, way to. What if she's what? What if she's an android? Oh well, that doesn't prevent that's anything right. I said from still happening. <laughs> Yeah, just I, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll see, you know, when it comes out. I like it looks flashy enough to maybe give it a try. I, I don't know what to really think of it at the moment because like the, the trailer is so weirdly edited together. Yeah, that, yeah. like I can't even get a sense of like what the hell I watched. So it's just like okay, I guess that still exists. Sure. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see it resurface and not it didn't fall into like the depths of you know development hell. So. uh Hopefully, hopefully, like maybe a mediocre trailer, but maybe that doesn't mean anything in the long run. Anything to justify the the, the PS5 uh, purchase, right? Mm, Yes. I've still only played Intergrade on mine. (laughs) And the last major trailer that we're going to cover from the uh, PlayStation Showcase is, I think, one that we all kind of expected, and that is Forspoken. 
Yeah, Forsaken. Oh. <laughs> no, Forspoken. Uh, <laughs> so obviously, this is the game from Luminous Productions that uh, was announced a couple years ago that we learned slowly over time about the premise of the game, about the protagonist, about the, the, the voice talent behind the protagonist. But everything about the story and the, and the premise of the game was kind of vague. And that's basically what was this trailer was addressing here in a story introduction trailer. As many had either gleaned or maybe this was already announced, it is very much an isekai. Josh, what is an isekai? An isekai is when someone from like the modern world, modern times, gets transported to another world where uh, it's not their own. So they become sort of like they take on the players or the uh, viewers sort of shoes where like, whoa, what's going on? So you have this whole exposition now. So there's your that's what an isekai is just another an another world story. So basically, this uh, trailer revealed that Frey, the protagonist, is originally from New York City. And I kind of thought that they could have made this more interesting, but it's literally a portal to wherever Forsaken takes place. Uh, they, na- they named the planet. I forget what it was called. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised they didn't make it like more interesting. It's just, she steps through a portal. She ends up in forespoken land and then turn I'd, I'd rather, and... rather it be it, it'd be like this uh opposed to like what modern anime does for most uh, of these where um they kind of they it's now a running gag uh, in these sort of uh isekai shows these days of like oh the character gets run over by a car and then they get transported to another world because they died in theirs i'm, I'm being serious but I, I I would I would prefer like something like she got knocked out and she wakes up or or mm. something. But instead of just like what a portal, oh no! And then she turns around. She yeah, goes, no, that's no, probably no. a reason though. Like she's trying Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like the lead up on it on like how it actually pre- like is presented in the game is gonna. I, I assume it's gonna be more like meaningful or flashy than just like this edited trailer of like oh there there she is. You know, hopefully there's a bit more context to it. And like, whoa! I like how she has a uh, the, this. This again does this sort of thing where someone talks to her. Only it's not a pod; it's a sentient cuff named Cuff. <laughs> they, they shared the, the more of the talent behind this game with the uh, uh, the people they work with. They work with uh, Gary Witta, who uh, wrote uh, Rogue One. They work with Amy Hennig, you know, who's most known for uh, her work in the Uncharted series and whatnot. And then the the score is being composed by. Uh, Bear McCreary, and he worked on the most recent God of War game and yes. The Walking Dead, and uh, Gary Scheiman, which is from the Bioshock series. So they they have quite the talent, the uh, Hollywood talent behind the development of this game. Like Luminous Productions and Square Enix are not being around, at least on the on the staff for this game, which is kind of crazy. Oh, and also I wanted to mention uh, Allison Reimer as well from Shadow Hunters and Todd Slash Stashwick from Devil Inside. Uh, was part of the writing talent behind this games as well. So it's just kind of kind of a mishmash of like a lot of talent. You know, it's kind of weird. George Yang, what was your uh, take on the the story trailer for Forspoken? Um, I still don't know what it's about. Like, <laughs> like does that whole isekai thing? Um, I don't think the trailer really did enough to get me to like care about what's going on. If that makes sense, it's no, just kind of weird. Go ahead. Ebulous. Um also the little like thing that like talks to you. Oh, like the like, rings, like their bracelet thing. Uh, yeah, Tough. I I I feel like the voice is like do do we need like a another quippy, sarcastic kind of 
you know, person to like narrator. Wall voice. Like, do we need another one of those? Honestly, I, yeah, well, I, th- I think the thing that a lot of people like came away from this trailer is it's still a running thing from these forespoken trailers. Like the way these trailers are edited and like the the voiceover for them is like it's weirdly getting irritating on like the people who are watching them as well. Like the t- the voice talent is great, but like the direction of like the trailers and how, what they say in them is it, it's the same problem with like showing. Death loop over and over again in every <laughs> event, and like I'm sure the game is gonna be cool, but like the way they present it and like the the way they direct the voiceover for them, and like it's kind of how really having like the opposite effect almost of like kind of. Are you talking about like the try hard quips that are like the, the, it's a freaking dragon, or whoa. I just moved it with my mind? Whoa! Yeah, I was and actually gonna yeah, say that whoa, really puts so me negative. off. Negative. <laughs> I mean, it's, so good. It's, it's it's funny, like, but it's it's unintentional. It's unintentionally funny to me. It's Zuma language. That's why I get it. <laughs> That's what I'd say. <laughs> um, but no, George said George Yang said that he wasn't sure what the game was about, and actually, our boss Alex Donaldson is going to be putting up a little editorial on. Um, on this game or on what it's been shown so far and basically what its premise is is that he likes how it looks but he's still it's leaving him cold in terms yeah. of what the game has shown and one part of that is is like what do you, they've shown this game three or four times and I still don't know what it's really about or what you do but here's the um, premise that they give this like, from one of no, the no, trailers this, I was going to get to that I was going to get to that uh, we know he, she is transported to another world and based on this trailer uh, we know that the main character, Freya, has to take on a matriarch type of enemy named Tanta Silva. Silva? Um, something like that. And, like, apparently this Tanta Silva is a threat to the world, and Freya is the one that can take her out. And that's Frey. basically all we know. Like, uh, that and is like it. The, the, the line is actually, you'd be doing us a great service by killing her. Like, like that's it's just kind of like, okay, that's very blood. Like, like you And should, then also... You and also, moment-to-moment gameplay, it's like we see a lot of this flippy trails, uh, parkour stuff over cliffs, but it's like, is that what you're doing most of the time? Is just tr- flipping so over cool. cliffs? Uh, and then it shows a little bit of combat, but I do think there are some clips of the combat that look pretty good, but there are some others with the magic that are just like, I'm not so sure about this. George, but that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a part of Alex's uh, editorial that he's going to be doing. He's like, I'm not sure what you're doing or what it's about. But you're following I mean, into, uh, the, the the brief clips of like flashy cool shit, and then you don't actually know like what you're actually doing. It's the bio trap, man. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't want to be so like I don't know cynical, but I feel like after seeing this most recent trailer, if anything, I I'm less interested in the game. And for me, it totally comes down to the banter. It just has that terrible MCU like banter where it's like. Quippy, no, yeah, I just, I just don't like it. Sorry, Guardians trailer they showed the showcase was bad, dude. No, yeah, disagree. Love to it. Was so bad. Disagree. <laughs> I, I think I'm actually with George on the gameplay. I think some of the gameplay looks really kind of cool. How she like captures some like flying enemies in a magic floating bubble. How she's like swinging along on like a vine and she like wraps herself around like a post sticking out of a cliff, like the parkour across the rooftops. I think that's. Cool, but I just I, I also feel what James is saying. I'm like, we, I please just shut up. Like, do I have a voice slider for the character that I could just? <laughs> oh, like, here Well, didn't Bob Mutant do like the same sort of thing where they did like ninja pose or, or whatever? Like their trailer needed it. Uh huh. 
the, the fact that our go-to comparison for this is Biomutant is probably not a great <laughs> sign. Uh, Maybe I'll be less keen. I think I, I think the narrator in Biomutant like fits better because of like the cartoony, like like over the topness of, <laughs> of the game. But like having like a quippy person in like a realistic world or like a hyper realistic environment like Forspoken. I don't think it really meshes well. It's, it's just weird. And, but like we said, it sort of it might just be a trailer thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a thing. Okay. Yeah. By the way, I didn't announce, but uh, the end of this trailer specifies that uh, the the current window for 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 spoken almost said forsaken again, uh, spring twenty twenty two, which is what it was. That's like bio mutant. Mm. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully another just a trailer thing. But yeah, so I guess kind of a series of uh, we had a short teaser trailer for Knights of the Republic, which is fine. Uh, too long in the tooth trailer for Product Eve, and then kind of just a weird trailer for Forspoken. So, eh, average. I just want to uh, the, uh, even even aside before we go into like the Square Enix stuff because it's still kind of kind of Square Enix related. Like it's funny to see the reaction to Guardians of the Galaxy because the, because it was because of its initial e3 presence of having like that 25 minute long presentation people are already like i already saw enough of this game. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I don't see oh my god what a, and alex is sad. like really on board with it so he keeps like he, he's reading a couple articles saying like how he's really hyped for it and they're not landing like at least with our with the rpg site audience i i feel good like alex and you're george being mean to george like, my time to shine <laughs> George, like, I feel I'm, bad for Alex. Video games. <laughs> I feel Alex, bad like, for this, Alex. This is the next Mass Effect. Like, uh, <laughs> where he'll push for things like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's just like, yeah, that, that's no, no me one. too. Though <laughs> that's Marvel's Avengers. That's my story. <laughs> Did you ever play the Black Panther stuff? No, <laughs> George. What the fuck? He's a bigger Avengers uh, fan than you are. What the hell? <laughs> I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what happened, George? Avengers they was worth They crushed my soul. Look, Black Panther was supposed to save the game. Maybe Spider Man? But well, they, I'm, you know, I'm not um, going to keep saying maybe. Yeah, that's true as well. They oh, actually man. just very, you know very, the very, real... very. Sorry. All I was going to say was they did put out a new roadmap for Avengers, and it's mostly just kind of like, like small little updates here and there, like events and whatnot, but they did mention. Like a special mission or whatever with Spider-Man is coming relatively soon, but it, it was it was worded in a weird way. Where like is it yeah. is it is he like a full-fledged character or do you, do you just play as Spider-Man in like a certain mission or something? Oh, and it's PlayStation exclusive, but who knows? I feel <laughs> like I feel like the uh, best like example of just how much the Avengers game has completely died is that before it came out or like around the time it came out, people were so pissed about Spider-Man being exclusive to the PlayStation for good reason. Now, literally nobody cares. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's making us think about it because that's how little people care about the game. And, and the always curse part about uh, the, the, the thing about the Spider-Man content being uh, exclusive to the Sony platform is like, it's probably, it's absolutely probably going to be worse than like, Insomniac Spider-Man stuff. Oh, cool. right. <laughs> so, so if you're a Spider-Man fan, you're going to be playing Spider-Man and Miles Morales, and then get hyped for the 2023 release. Yeah. Spider-Man Two. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. it's so weird. But uh, well, I'm excited for Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh well, yeah, at least someone is. 
<laughs> I want to. If it's good, I'll give it a shot. But you know, we'll see. So those three trailers that we went through were kind of like the big highlights of the week. There's still a lot of other kind of bit news, so we'll just kind of roll through these uh, other things from Square Enix, a couple other dates and releases. Um, on the Square Enix front, they did reveal their Tokyo Game Show 2021 lineup, and no, Final Fantasy 16, at least listed, is not listed here. Like people were hoping that maybe they were being conservative when they said it probably wouldn't show up, uh, but it seems like there are no plans to have platform that here. Um, some things that Square Enix does have listed for their Tokyo Game Show showing that I am interested in is uh, Project Triangle Strategy, which did have that, I thought, fantastic demo earlier this year. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy will be there, George. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> Uh, obviously, there'll be a segment for their two MMOs, Dragon Quest X, um, including Dragon Quest X offline, which they announced at the Dragon Quest event um, a few months back. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV will have a presence. Um, some of the Final Fantasy VII things, like the First Soldier, will have a presence. Uh, I'm mostly interested in uh, also uh, Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin. The uh, That's the what I'm most and, interested in. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's a, yeah the, the couple things that are um, will be interesting to see what, uh, what comes out of Tokyo Game Show. I'm most uh, eager to see more news on Triangle Strategy. Perhaps a new title, maybe? Or they'll just decide to go with Triangle Strategy, because oh, that's, that's the precedent. I, <laughs> I kind of like Square Enix Triangle or something. I don't know. I kind of to finally see like what the hell does this deep insanity asylum project mixed media oh, yeah, is that too? Yeah, because that's something just like totally new and very like unknown right now. And that's and oddly enough, that's already planned for like a Steam release and mobile devices. So just like okay, well, so I don't know. I don't know what to expect from that. But yeah, all the oh. other ones. Yeah, you know. Forspoken will and, be there. Yeah. I forgot to say that it'll be there too. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, thank you, George. The show for me. That's right. This is the year of George. And uh, Square Enix did announce that um, most of these events, maybe not all of them, but they, they put out an English press release basically saying, yes, they'll either have subtitles or interpretation. So they are aware that our broad audience will be watching this. And play, yeah, you know, I, 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 it'll be in Japanese, but we will. it'll either be subtitled or interpreted look yeah you have to understand tgs has got a long way uh, in terms of accessibility because this is still coming like i, I the tgs in my mind is still back in the nico nico days yeah. where you, how you log to, in I, I, if you if you could even log in you know you're you're going to be booted off a, a person who's paying for their nico nico account because or yeah, yeah you just you just watch a restream I yeah exactly <laughs> And then, you know, so so them actually, like, YouTube streaming was a big, big revelation. Like, why don't we just do that on that platform, too? And then now they're doing and either subtitles, captions, or interpretations and whatnot. It's just like, wow, TGS is, like, not terrible to follow anymore. Actually, I might have been, I might have misspoke. It looks like the only, I'm reading the press release. It says... Uh, Square Enix, several game-specific stream programs will air throughout the weekend, including the following that will offer English subtitles or dubbing for Spoken, Stranger of Paradise, and The First Soldier. That's the, the Battle Royale game. So there, it seems like there's going to be a Square Enix Presents, and that'll be available in English. And then there's going to be these three events, which will have English in some form. And then, But there might be other events, like the Dragon Quest event probably won't. So... Uh, gotta have the like, partially. Yeah, we have the caption English. again embedded into the video saying this is not announced for worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of Stranger Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin, we uh, a few of us, I know Josh and James at least, played the uh, 
the stress test demo beta, whatever they called it uh, a few months ago. Uh, and I think we're pretty positive on it. Yeah. And they had yeah. at the part as part of that demo, they had a, a pretty lengthy uh, trial trial. That's what they called it. Um, survey for for feedback and and an interesting showing of kind of openness. And, and like, I, I don't know if I see this a lot. I think you see it sometimes from Sega. Uh, Square Enix and Team Ninja basically published the results from that feedback. So we can kind of see in general what they're taking away from that trial, uh, how, what the general Im impressions of were, of were from people who played it. Um, we have up on the site, uh, Kite again did a great job translating some of the data for us, what the, uh, how, how it actually broke down between, uh, very good, good, neutral, bad, very bad scale of five. Um, at a very high level, it seems like people were actually surprisingly, um, pleased with how the game played uh, a little less so in terms of its visuals. Uh, but they talked about some of the things that they're going to do as post-feedback improvements, such as stabilizing the frame rate, reducing falling damage, adjusting visibility. I guess there was a lot of places where the camera would like clip into corners, things like that. Yeah. Um, I think I just the survey on, on stream, like uh, I Discord streamed like me filling out the survey because I streamed the whole demo here on the RPG site Discord. And it was like, it was like early morning or late at night. I was like, I might as well fill out the survey on stream too. One, though this is one that I thought was interesting. Adjust the difficulty balance to rearrange the levels from easy, normal, hard to story action hard. Like to me, that's just like okay. I that's suppose. Funny. <laughs> like I guess action mode is normal mode, but hard mode is ubiquitous. I suppose. Story action hard. Where's, where's chaos mode? Yeah, there yeah, should be. It should be story mode. action chaos. Yeah, why not? Yeah. George, you're a genius. <laughs> All <laughs> right, George, you better uh, submit your resume. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the, so it's uh, this this game has been a fun game to follow because it was just, it, everyone just absolutely shat on it when it was first revealed, and then it sort of like turned it around where people were like, you know what, that was actually quite something. Like there's some they have something here, and I think James was a proponent of that. Uh, and now I think I, I think I saw a comment. I forget if it was on our tweet for this or uh, for no, actually like our comments on our news post for this actually says like i hope they do this i hope they do this like people really see the potential here like people are eager to see this game it's not it's not the joke that it was during its first day of life or whatever when it was just chaos memes so it's also this, it's, well, it, the chaos memes kind of first started off as like almost disparaging but now it's like somehow turned endearing like like literally yeah, yeah. we just got a we just got a, a tweet to our account like a reply to our account 15 minutes ago more chaos please i'm actually very excited for this game like, no exactly it's, it's That's like exactly it's so, so. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what comes out of a tokyo game show for it it, it is a fresh idea uh, you know so i'm all for it soundtrack by mizuta Yep. Yeah. Um, I actually got some, uh, not, not really shit, but I got some uh, playful teasing when I dared to say that I think that maybe uh, Mizuta is a better, uh, better than Soken. <gasps> Soken. Yeah. Uh -oh. For some context, right, for, people for, for context for people who might be listening for the first time, uh, Mizuta is the composer for Final Fantasy XI. Soken's a composer for Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, if you want to hear a good Mizuta track, just type in Gustaberg, G-U-S-T-A-berg. I don't remember if it's B-U-R-G or B-E-R-G. It's a very good track. It's G-U-S-T-A-B-E-R-G. Yeah, well, it's one of my favorite tracks from Final Fantasy XI from Mizuta. So it's really cool to see him like still at Square Enix and doing stuff and uh, on another like very creative, different sort of project. The last Square Enix news is... Um, and Adam, I'm, I saw the trailer here because I saw that you posted it. Uh, this is for a new project 
helmed by the Dragon Guard and Nier team, including Yoko Taro. Voice of Cards, the Isle Dragon Roars. Now, I watched the trailer for this, but I don't know where it came from. Did this just show up on YouTube, or where was this presented at? It wasn't uh, presented anywhere. They just popped up on YouTube with a press huh. release at the same time, and like, here it is. Yeah, and so they just the- tweeted it. I remember I was up yeah, way too late, yeah. and then I saw that tweet. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so not, not, I don't feel so dumb. I'm like, where did this come out. from? Okay, yeah. <laughs> he just tweeted it this is basically the big news behind Drakengard in your uh, creative directors, Yoko Taro, executive producer, Yosuke Saito, and the music director is Keiichi Okabe. The interesting thing about this is the character designer is Kimihiko Fujisaka. He does the Drakengard series and, you know, other stuff like The Last Story. And was that the person was, was that the person behind Replicant Remaster too? I don't. I, did he? I think that was, uh, was it Yoshida for that one? I forgot. Um, was it not, was not it? for the remaster? Let me check on Moby Games. Yeah, but the the so and Yoko Taro went on to uh, social media and uh, clarified that this is not Dragon Guard series and this is not a social game. However, you choose to uh, interpret that. In in my interpretation, that means it's not a mobile game because how you know back in the day with Gree and stuff, they would always call their their products social game or social games and they were mobile products so i i I think that's what it means doesn't but you know there's no more clarification behind that um the the way they present this is like it's a tabletop rpg like built of cards and i don't know exactly what that means in the sense that is it like a slay the spire-esque type of game or if they really want to appeal to me uh as a person maybe they'll go the eye of judgment route and you actually buy (laughs) you actually buy cards and and, and they have a mat and you use a playstation camera of some sorts and the and the monsters will manifest from the cards i still i had yeah, I was on PS3. It was such a cool idea that it fucking died because it didn't sell. I think it had like an expansion pack, and I think that's it. But I was like, man. So by the way, uh, Kimihiko Fujisaka was the character designer for the redone characters in Replicant too. Okay, cool, nice. So it's basically like the Replicant team. Yeah. On this, so and I think <laughs> I think we got a teaser for this. Um, you know, like when they are talking about like I, I don't know if it's this game in particular, but they're saying, oh, Taro is on a new project. It's a Smaller, smaller scale project. I think they said was it download only, so it might be this project. Who knows? Um, oh yeah, I remember but, that. Yeah, but the teaser is very you know it's the teaser trailer doesn't teaser. really say much. But the, there are you know people have like read the cards on them and like the the one in particular that uh, catches a lot of people's attention is there's one card that's translated to uh, the white cult shall bring peace to this earth and whatnot. So we'll see what the hell that means. And I'm really also. Really, to see how this plays out go on they didn't announce any like release date or platforms or anything but it has shown up on one of the psns so it looks like it'll be at least on consoles oh yeah it's, so, yeah i'm seeing this right now there's also a steam DP, db page for oh, it so the steam page for it someone found okay yeah so they didn't announce consoles but we can figure out some of them yeah so at the very least you know this is probably this is most likely not a mobile game which is what people wanted because and people are like, oh, no, we don't want another reincarnation. It's like, oh, not that. But uh, yeah, I think it's cool to do something, you know, smaller scale rather yeah. than, you know. I- I'd like, rather see this type of project than like another near or, well, I kind of want to see another Dragon Guard. But, you know, 
uh, something totally new and different, and uh, hopefully defies yep. expectations. You know, I'm I'm very very interested in whatever the fuck. What's this title? Is a Voice of Cards colon the Isle Dragon Roars. Yeah, it's not it's not something that flies off the tongue, but yeah, <laughs> Voice of Cards. If you say Voice of the Cards, you're wrong. wrong. Right? <laughs> Attack of the Titans. <laughs> it just so we also had another announcement uh, in this last week from not any of the t- players that we've mentioned so far. Uh, this is from Nice America. So recently in the last month, late August, I think early September in Europe, we did have the release of Prini Presents Volume 1, which basically included uh, remasters of Phantom Brave and Soul Nomad and the World Eaters. And based- when that was announced as Volume 1, kind of gave away the game that there should probably be more of these coming. And one of those was just announced in the last week. So Nice America announced Prini Presents Nice Classics Volume 2. In this one, we've got Makai Kingdom Reclaimed and Rebound and ZHP Unlosing Ranger versus Dark Death Evil Man. Now, I will just be honest and say I don't know anything about either of these games except that one came out in 2010 and one came out in 2011. So I have heard so much good stuff about ZHP and I've kept meaning to play it. Now, I'm not saying I'll necessarily get it on Switch or PC because I think it's still like 10 bucks on PSN and you can play it on Vita. So I might just get there. But I've heard a lot of good stuff about it. And I saw a lot of people that were hoping that if there was a volume two, that ZHP would be in it. Oh, yeah, these are actually the, exactly the two games that I saw people like speculating before yeah. it was announced. Like, I, be- I hope volume two has Makai Kingdom and ZHP. And turns out. It's exactly what it has. The ZHP so. version is like the one with the extra content and the portable version, right? No, uh, that's you mix Makai it up. Kingdom. Yeah, it's ZHP Makai- was yeah. only ever on PSP. Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. I have no idea why I thought ZHP was on PS2. Okay. So I haven't played any of these games either, but uh, obviously when reporting this, I did my basic ass research. But Makai Kingdom released on PS2, and yeah. it's a strategy game. And it, re- it released worldwide. It had an English version and all that. But then it got a PSP version in Japan years later, in 2011 or so. And that version, like a lot of NIS PSP and Vita ports, had new content. But that one was never localized in English before. And so this version of Makai Kingdom, which is called Reclaimed and Rebound, it seems to include that PSP content in English for the first time. So that's probably why it has a new subtitle, because the Makai Kingdom subtitle was different before. Um, but yeah, so that content is actually new for us. Chronicles of the Sacred yeah. Tome. Yeah, that was oh, the original. So, so I guess so. I guess when <laughs> I saw the two eleven two thousand eleven date for that, I didn't realize that was a PlayStation Portable version specifically. The original PS two version came out in two thousand five. So that mm-hmm. makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning actually. So I played the first two Disgaea's, and I like them well enough. I, I want to play other Disgaea's, but I've been waiting for three to release on PC or something. I know I could play four and five, and I know they're not related, but I kind of want to go in order anyway. Um, and I and I did start a playthrough of of uh, Phantom Brave, but I haven't finished it. And I'm interested in Soul Nomad and both of these games. So one of these days, I'm just going to go on like a NIS binge and play all these strategy games. But I've only played the first two Disguises for now. That's cool that they're being brought, all brought back like for modern platforms and whatnot. These. Oh yeah, we should. I don't know if we mentioned it outright. It's a, it's a, it's a Switch collection of the mm-hmm. two, but also both of these games are being released on Steam, kind of individually. So that's how that's a collection on Switch. Yeah, yeah volume, that's the, volume one. I think the games were already on PC. Uh, uh, Phantom Brave was 
Soul Nomad was not. So, in yeah, this no, case, no. neither game was already there. So, in, in this case, both games they'll be released on Steam at the same time as the Switch collection. I know. You know I heard what? that the uh, I heard that not I, I haven't heard much about the PC version of Soul Nomad. If it's anything like Phantom Brave, it's just a basic PC port, yeah. nothing fancy. Which for these games is probably yeah. all it needs. Yeah. But I heard that the Switch version of Penny Presents One was like full of like crashes and it's people are guessing like memory leaks and things like that. So it's just like that doesn't sound I, great. Yeah, I'd heard some issues. A few friends of mine on Twitter picked it up, and there was some really baffling stuff. Like for whatever reason, there's a mouse cursor in the Switch version. <laughs> Hell oh. yeah. <laughs> That's weird, <laughs> but hopefully it's a, be- a better state uh, with this round of uh, re- uh, re-releases, I guess. But and it's uh, I the, think the, that, the, the date on these is uh, spring twenty twenty two. I think also that's really, uh, that you know the people the the some of the two titles that people really wanted the most and a good number of them nailed it. Like yeah, here are two of the most you know wanted games from this is battle uh, backlog. Catalog. Anyways, um, one also semi-interesting component to these is that these are announced and released by NIS America first, and then NIS Japan kind of tags tags along later. So I, that's always a little bit interesting that it's sort of an initiative from the Western branch to reap to port these, and then sort of gets back localized into uh, Japanese for their releases. Um, like I believe Pretty Presents Volume One for Japan wasn't announced until very recently before it released, and it's only like a digital version over there where here you can get you can buy a physical switch version if you want so that's, that's a little bit interesting how it's sort of the localized uh western branch is taking the initiative behind this to do it to do these re-releases we did also get a new trailer for the upcoming game monarch we've talked about monarch uh, on a few podcasts before this is sort of like the smt inspired game from land with some Shin Megami Tensei talent behind it. Now, this new trailer for it is a pretty lengthy trailer, but it is from the Monarch YouTube channel and not the English-facing Nice America published uh, YouTube channel. So the the trailer is in Japanese only; doesn't have any closed captioning. But it is, you know, it's like I still watched it. You can still get a really good feel for like the dreariness of the series, the setting, the premise. Uh, the music is also, you know, quite good with it as well. So just some more media to chew on for those that are looking forward to Monarch, which is releasing in Japan in not too long, October 14th. Uh, so basically in a month. Uh, also one of those early 2022 games for um, for us in the West. So I don't know. have enough early 2022 games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, always, it always feels like, I feel like people say this every year, but like the first quarter of every year, people kind of like dread, like, ah, everything is Q1 of the next year. But I think what eventually happens is that one or two or three of those end up getting like plucked out and they fall in like May or June instead. And it usually ends up working out okay. But uh, yeah, as of right now, 2022 is stacked for us in the West, at least in the uh, early going. Worth mentioning that, you know, obviously a lot of fiscal years end in March. So usually... You have a bunch of games that release right, right. Like we got to get it right. out for the fiscal year, so mm-hmm. that's that's often why Q1 is sometimes full of these big games. I really wonder, like, what, what's going to be the initial reception to this game is next month when people start getting their hands on it. I'm very curious. I hope it's actually good. Um, I it's like a smaller new IP. Mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that it's not like, you know, mediocre like Caligula effect was. Uh, mm-hmm. or like too derivative 
yeah. like it's inspiration. So, I've yeah, heard some good things about Caligula 2, which is also releasing soon for us. Um, but yeah, the first one I actually kind of detested. <laughs> I played the original version. Apparently, the new version is better, but that oh, original Caligula that, um, Vita version yeah. is terrible. So, so, At- so Atlas published the Vita version. Yeah, got I delisted. It. Got delisted in like May or something like that. So, so because the game was digital only, like you can never get. Like you cannot get the Vita version at all anymore. No, it sounds like it sounds like it. It sounds like Overdose is better. Like I hated that game so much. I have a hard time like taking anyone's word for it. But apparently, it's better. Dude, you could sell your Vita with it, like for like billions soon, dude. (laughs) Yeah, I have one of the the few thousand copies. I know some people are gun ho about preserving every version of a game, but. Caligula on Vita is kind of in the same mind space as EZ8 on Vita, where if that version was just never saw the light of day ever again, there would be no loss because the <laughs> other versions are just subjectively better. Look, well, 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 time will prove us wrong, but in like 2050, they'll be like selling for like 3,000 each. <laughs> 2015, we're going back in time? 2050, 5-0. <laughs> The interesting thing about Monarch is that like the the marketing on the English side has not been very much like the Nice America had uh, a few months ago. They're basically their announcement trailer saying that they were going to bring it next year. And then I think they posted like the opening movie when that was revealed. And that was that's kind of been it so far. Everything else has been from the from the, well, from the jet for the Japanese marketing, which is fine because it's coming out next month in Japan. But uh, just kind of it feels like a little bit like a like a time capsule like like this is how ga- this is how it was 10 years ago where we had to look at these japanese trailers or 20 years ago and and try to glean what we can because we weren't going to learn about it until the year or two after the fact so we might we might need to wait until like january or december of this year to to really get uh more english facing um details about this premise and things like that or just wait for import impressions we did get a, a western release date for the Neptunia and Senren Kagura crossover game, Neptunia Cross Senren Kagura Ninja Wars. So this is actually coming out this week in uh, Japan, September 16th, and will be out in North America on October 26th and uh, in Europe on October 29th. It's kind of interesting because when this game was first announced, I remember when it first showed up, uh, what event was it at? I forget what it was at, but it, it first showed up as a big surprise, uh, like back in March. Um, oh yeah, it's like it's like a, it's like a, like a, a, a compile heart teaser on YouTube or something. I think something like that. And yeah. we didn't really have anyone on staff at the time that was really interested. But now we've got Nathan, who's like really gung ho about this game and big Neptunia fan. So we will get the proper uh, actual like critical review of uh, Neptunia. <laughs> I, I reviewed a Neptunia v- VTuber game this year, but the, oh. the proper critical thing. Wow. Wow. Ryan. But are you a Neptunia fan or did you do it out of I've played almost all the games. I'm not oh. saying I'm a fan, but I've definitely played <laughs> almost all the games. Okay. So what do you think I, the HD and HD Kieran stands for? Whoa. That's fucked up, dude. Don't bring that up. <laughs> it's like God, dude. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I know, I know that Nathan is really eager. To, I'm eager to see like uh, what his take is on this. And if you want to contribute, if you're if you're going to pre-order this or import it, Josh, uh, <laughs> you're free to talk about it next week if you want. You can play. You oh, could play oh, this. Ga- you could play this game uh, mm-hmm. by uh-huh. next Friday, depending on if you were uh. able to get a digital copy. I don't know. <laughs> I do know yeah, people I- are still like waiting for like the next mainline one because it's been a while. And this year, there's 
the VTuber game. There was the re-re-re-re-release of the first game. Uh-huh. And now there's this spin-off, which is a new game, but like you know, I, I, I know I know people the... are waiting for the for like a new mainline. Like or do, do those does mainline even exist anymore for Neptunia? I, I love how the this. PS5 port of uh, the first game's remake has Go in the Japanese title, and you can say, oh, that's for the 5 and PS5, but it could also be 5 for this is the fifth time they've done a remaster slash port of this. <laughs> and, and I've seen comparisons like the PS4 versus PS5 version, and it's like they like bumped up the contrast. <laughs> it feels like that's all they yeah. I saw someone compare it to that uh, Alex Jones picture where he's just like, tan. <laughs> 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 So uh, I just thought that was a funny comparison. But yeah, Sinro uh, Kagura across Neptunia next month for us in the West. This month, uh, we do also have, well, actually not even this month, coming out in a two weeks is Lost Judgment. And it has a demo available in Japan available now. But that demo does have English, Japanese, Korean, and Chinese. But you can play it in English. So if you want to play the the demo for Lost Judgment, it is available on Japanese PSN. So uh, do we know why it's not available in the West? Probably going to announce it like in the coming week. I, 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 It'll I, probably I, be I a Monday announcement. Yeah. yeah. It'll so. probably be coming probably soon. So All right. But we shall demo. see. Yeah, it depends on how, how eager you are. But... Uh, from what I've heard uh, so far for Lost Judgment, it seems like it's shaping up to be a really, really solid uh, step up from the original game. Just one of, should be one of the highlights of the year. It's also just to mention we've mentioned this before, but it's cool that both Tales and you know this Lost Judgment game both established series, but both the first time for either one that they're getting a, a simultaneous worldwide release. Oh yeah, so. yeah. What a big contrast when another long-running uh, RPG series is getting a new release this month, and we're not going to get it in the West until 2024. Weird. <laughs> we did also get another announcement uh, that Moon is coming to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. This was a game that originally uh, released on PS1, but then uh, was re-released last year. Actually made our top 10 for its Switch version. Uh, it did get announced for Steam a few weeks ago, and now it is also going to be re- released for PlayStation 4 and 5. Uh, no release dates on any of these. Even on Steam, it just says coming soon. So these should this could show up at any time on Steam or the Sony consoles. Uh so, a PS5 version, dude. I was waiting for that. I need the, the haptic feedback. <laughs> good like i imported a physical copy of it from japan i was like it, it's honestly fantastic you know like yeah, uh, I'll every, give yeah definitely uh, go, go play through it you have a huge backlog of just other stuff yeah relatable mm. <laughs> is there a problem george alpha tales of arise is stressing me <laughs> out <laughs> you guys have made it seem good but it's too long Oh, you're good. George, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're Tales gonna of Rise is a Tales of Rise is a short JRPG. Yeah. Come on, George. <laughs> You're just spoiled by Kingdom Hearts, where at most are like thirty hours. I love it though. That's perfect. Well, what are you waiting for? Kingdom Tales Hearts, really? <laughs> Tales of look. If you just mainline Tales of Rise, I'm sure it'll be around that time. Easy. You don't have to play the content we'll, of the we'll game. See. We'll see. Look, look. 
Here, here's here's the solution to our problem. We just get George to play Persona Five Royal, and by the mm. time he's done, every other JRPG will seem short in comparison. <laughs> Ooh. We did get a sales update for Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim. We we got news in March that it had surpassed forty thousand total sold copies worldwide, but uh, just this week. They revealed that it has reached the 20,000 milestone in Japan alone. So no update. Sorry. Yeah. 200,000 milestone in Japan. So 200,000 in Japan as of this week, 400,000 worldwide as of March. So uh, we've been going for two and a half hours. Sorry. I'm I'm holding it together. Uh, But just 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 kind of cool to see that this uh, this game and it's and it's superb word of mouth is is selling well uh, relative to expectations, including you know, Japan and outside of Japan. So I you know, I fucking love this game. I love this game so much. My favorite game last year. Oh, my God. I think it does kind of put that only on PS4. I think if it also came to PC and Switch, it, it could have yeah. been it could have done even better in terms of sales. But yeah, so I, totally- I love the game. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, it's so weird. Like, oh, I mean, it's not weird because Vanilla Bear is very, they're, they're a very, very small team. So trying to port it, like taking the time and resources to uh, put it elsewhere instead of like try to make a, a new game is a, it's a tricky proposition uh, and what and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's cool to see the like, I imagine to some people, like, you know, they see, they see like 200,000 or 400,000. It's like, oh, it's not a million seller and whatnot compared to like my favorite game. And whatnot, but it's it's impressive for this kind of game because this kind of this kind of game is has such a it has such a limited appeal in terms of like uh, it's a very story focused game and, and the the way it presents its story is very unconventional. On top of it also, having like a light RTS like game on top of it, it's like it's like target audience and market is like limited in scope. It's not going to be for everyone. Also, like, brand new IP. Yeah. On the same token. Um, like that's a lot of money for like a smaller Japanese release, but I do worry if it's enough for it to be an actual success. Because look, if you really like think about like how much time and effort and money must have gone into cool. the artwork and everything, you you start to wonder. Well, how much did it need to sell to start to be successful? Yeah, I don't know. A, yeah, that that yeah, unfortunately we, we we won't know unless the developer kind of gives us a, a peek inside. Um, and some background for uh, George Sigma or Yang, whichever one he is, uh, is that uh, <laughs> when we had our uh, game of the year deliberations for uh, this, uh, Josh and a couple others really pushed for this to be our game of the year, and it, it was like a one A one B. It was it, if we had that deliberation again, it could have been. Um, and it ended up it ended up winning our best story or narrative. And at the time, we really had to fight our Alex Donaldson mostly Alex. Like, to put <laughs> to put it over Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, and then the, the the discussion around this game was so passionate that I early this year or late last year um, ended up playing through it myself, even though it's not the sort of game that I typically play. Uh, I loved it a lot, and I remember I went back to Josh and said like best narrative this should have this shouldn't have even been close like you can argue game of the year sure but like narrative wise final fantasy 7 remake i'm sorry if you're a fan of that but it just it doesn't it's not nearly as compelling or interesting as what this game attempts so um uh it was it was a cool yeah. kind of a game for for my history because like i like the word of mouth i had known that it was getting good reception good uh good reception good reviews but then like having experienced that discussion over that game of the year podcast i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna take the plunge and try something different and stretch a bit and get out of my comfort zone and i'm glad i did 
the last thing that we have on the docket here is, I guess, a semi sort of follow up from one of the discussion points either last week or the week before where I wasn't here. Uh, and this involves the the PlayStation 5 version of Horizon Forbidden West. So obviously Horizon Forbidden West was previously slated to come out in the launch window, uh, but got pushed back into 2022. And somehow during that process, it eventually dropped the idea of being able to upgrade from the PS4 to the PS5 version. And there were several articles about like what versions of the game you would have to get and it ended up being like you had to get the $80 digital deluxe version in order to be able to play on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 with no upgrade path, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of drama around it. You guys covered it in one of the previous weeks. Uh, and then we actually, we uh, in our in our podcast last week, we had a pretty long section on this about, you know, this weirdness in terms of like no upgrade or you have to buy an expensive digital version to get both. Um, but then like it was literally revealed like an hour or two after we finished recording that this is the headline that you're getting to yeah well and also i tie into the fact that uh we had the uh, upload error so some people might have just now listened to that podcast Oops, oh yeah not, time sucks. oh gosh i didn't think uh, about that uh, we're, we're gonna get roasted crucified uh, anyway, well we're making good on it now so uh <laughs> in, in a blog post from uh boda rise the community lead of gorilla basically saying that they are going to allow a free upgrade path for PS4 owners to PS5 for Horizon Forbidden West. And then for... Uh, I think you of... misstated that. I think the huh? original blog post was from that Gorilla community person. But then the, the the addendum to that, I believe, was actually from Jim Ryan himself. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, yeah. so, Bo, so Bo wrote the original blog post and then that blog post was updated. Okay. I get you. Um, okay. But yeah, so it will... two things. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, so two things. The whole reason this happened in the first place is that Sony said that through 2021, like any PS4 to PS5 upgrades would be free. They kind of changed that a bit with like, because they didn't necessarily do that for Ghost of Tsushima and they kind of got around it by saying, well, it comes with the DLC yeah. on its own and all that. And can I be spicy here for a second? I actually spicy. found a reset era post I agreed with basically going over how it's actually kind of bullshit that these like next gen upgrades you have to pay for. I think I agree with that because if a game is being developed for PS4 and PS5 at the same time, why should the PS5 version cost any different? That's a good point. That is actually a pretty good because, point. Because it makes them more money. Yeah. And <laughs> people say, well, it it costs more money to develop a PS5 game, but like one of the selling points they said is, well, no, with an SSD, it's actually easier to develop stuff because you have less redundant data and with the much stronger CPU, you don't have to worry about it as much as with the PS4. It's like, I don't know. It's just like somebody made a really excellent point where it's like, if you're, if you're a PC gamer, you kind of expect when you get a new GPU, it's not that you're just playing new games but you can go back and play older games at higher frame rates, at higher resolutions and see the difference. And I don't know. It just feels like it just doesn't sit right with me. It's, it's, it's entirely manufactured or manufactured where the engines used to make these games for the most part are scalable. And even as someone that's not knowledgeable in that area, the fact that you can play PC games and see that in real time, as you update the texture maps or the assets or the shadow quality or whatever. So 
just because they put a certain set of the engine in a certain box and call it PS4 or another box and call it PS5. Now it might be different if it's exclusive and it's using proprietary stuff that it does. It's not going to see on PC and it's it's designed around the hardware and it's not a cross-gen game. Then sure, you, the argument might have a hold more water there. But uh, this just it, all of this just seemed completely manufactured, which is why there was outrage in the outrage in the first place, and why the second part of this updated blog post is that God of War. Ragnarok and Gran Turismo 7 will have a $10 upgrade fee. So we'll have an upgrade path, but it won't be free. And so basically, that's kind of, it's not as loud as the Horizon one was, but it's kind of a sticking point where it's like, why is that even $10? That's just completely arbitrary. Because because, because they because they put the new MSRP at uh, $69.99 at the start yeah. of uh, this generation. Yep, and that's the yeah, answer. The thing that, mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing that really messes me up with that is that, well, First off, I think the $70 price point is really bullshit because if there was one company that was doing fine at the $60 price point for their AAA releases, it was Sony. Like Their first-party offerings sell enough that they did not need to raise the price to break even or anywhere close to that. It's pure greed, pure and simple. And the thing that gets me is that they use the argument that, oh, no, PS5 games are such a premium experience. That's why they're $70. Well, if you're going to do that, then sure, for stuff like Returnal or Ratchet & Clank, that makes sense. Those are PS5-only games. They could only run on PS5, presumably. But then you're releasing PS4 games and PS5 games at the same time. The PS5 version costs $70. When the whole reason for well, the whole reason you give for the price hike is well, you can only get these experiences on PS5. That really rubs me the wrong way. You gotta pay extra for the for uh, a proper lip syncing to the Japanese uh, language track, man. <laughs> That'll always be my, my a funny thing to me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Pretty much. There, it's I, I know some people will say like well games have been sixty dollars forever it's time for them to be seventy dollars because inflation, but like when you look at like the revenue these com- companies are bringing in through DLC and microtransactions and season passes and all that, then like the it, their bottom line is not hurting like at least in the terms of this when we're talking about these scopes of games like for indie games or things like that you could talk about the their monetization has to be different which is why you see them partnering with with people like Epic Games for the releases or whatever but for this like. Sony's not hurting. Like, look at the revenue that, like, that, that every single year their their services department and how much PlayStation is carrying the Sony brand at this point. Like, this isn't this isn't a crutch that they needed to keep themselves afloat. Uh, so I don't think the inflation argument really holds that much water. Yeah, but, and then um, also also keep in mind that um, you know, like, especially if uh, you know, I especially considering that I don't think the extra ten dollars is going to like developers it's going to like executive pockets you know if that makes sense you know it's yeah we can't know that for certain but it's one of those things where like if we don't know the we if we don't know all the otherwise like we how do we know like what you're saying sounds just as plausible to me like i would not be surprised yeah and then um and then again like you know uh sony isn't hurting at like a 60 at a 60 dollar price point you know like even days gone which is probably like the black sheep of all the ps4 exclusives um i think sony then came out and said yeah it, the game made a profit but it just wasn't profitable enough to warrant a sequel you know compared to the other games like last of us 2 or 
Ghost of Tsushima. So like even Days Gone, you know, made a made a profit at sixty dollars. No, that kind of thing. And, and most and of the revenue like, is from their services, anyways, from like PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Home, or not Home. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, streaming man. Service. PlayStation Now, PlayStation Now, now. That's the day, man, yeah. the glory days of PlayStation Home. <laughs> if only you got it. Bro. Yeah, and then I, I and then I think um, only Sony is doing this. I think it was the other folk, like Microsoft, like like Sony is in that position. They're in that. They're in that you know, number one position. Like I don't want to like. I don't want people to interpret this as like a console war thing, but like Sony is, is in the has been in lead the entire PS4 generation and is carrying that over to the PS5 generation. So Sony Sony is able to call these shots and this kind of stuff, yeah, simply yeah. because they're they're yeah. they're in this lead compared to like Microsoft, well, you know, uh, Microsoft smart smart delivery, play anywhere that kind of stuff, like more consumer friendly stuff because they kind of have to. You know, while Sony could just get away with, you know, whatever the hell they want. I, I yeah, just just I, for I, due I, diligence, they, they, I do want to say that Microsoft did attempt to like really, really hike up their service price. I forget what it was, but it was like effectively doubling it. And that got similarly yeah. like, what the hell are you doing? And then they had to backpedal in a very similar manner. So no company is your friend, basically, is what I'm getting at. Pretty, pretty <laughs> much. And uh, it's just well, it, like Sony has will continue to deliver like this message that like they are the premium thing. Like you see, you even see it in the in the PlayStation Showcase 2021 logo, like of the of the face buttons have being made of diamonds and whatnot. It's just it's what it is right now. And as long as people keep on paying, that's the way it's gonna go. And how it's always gonna be, you know. And I think I think James brought, kind of brought up a good point. Like if you argue that the seventy dollar price point is for that premium kind of like brand quality sort of expectation almost like a nintendo seal of quality only for the modern age and it's a playstation 5 experience you can only get there then sure charge 70 dollars for returnal um and then like that's that's their right as market leader i suppose but it does kind of break down a bit when you get into cross-gen with upgrades and delays out of a launch window kind of reneging a previous expectation that's when things kind of go awry i i'm I'm glad that so far third parties haven't like done that like price segregation yet like tales of a rise on ps5 is still 60 bucks if i remember correctly so as of the moment third parties you know haven't done that yet we'll see in the future well i think activision did but they're activision so right yeah yeah Yeah, And that is the uh, that's the last topic for the day. So uh, that was actually quite quite a what it was quite a quite a packed week, and I was uh, very glad to be back. Uh, Really, it was really nice to be able to talk at length about Tales of Arise. It's one of the big first kind of I know it's not quite the holiday season yet, but it's kind of like a kickoff point in terms of like this is when we're going to start seeing the big releases uh, to close out the year um, as one that was seemingly well received and enjoyed as Tales of Arise. Uh, obviously, I have a whole bunch to chew on from the RPG space from the PlayStation Showcase, which isn't usually the case for PlayStation Showcases, but uh, it was in this case. And you know all, all the other things that that filtered through there like uh like pathfinder like all the other square enix news including their tgs showings and um uh stranger of paradise so really fun to be back thank yeah, you yeah we're george. happy to be back man yeah and thank you uh thank you uh mr george yang for uh joining us this week to thank to you, talk at length about about tales of arise and uh you're also your experience sure, with life is strange <laughs> and some of the other things that you were uh, uh able to contribute to Definitely. so obviously all thank of the tales me. of our yeah, anytime. All the tales of Arise uh, news, reviews, and guides are up on the website. 
you can visit us at rpgsite.net. Our main social feed is our Twitter at rpgsite. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We do have a YouTube channel. It's a little bit quiet at the moment, but it is there. You can go to YouTube RPG site if you want to look up any of our old uh, video reviews from James or some of our old uh, casual mode uh, playthroughs. And we will try to be back next week. Uh, we think we've sorted out all the issues with the podcast uploads, so those should continue as normal. Uh, but until you hear from us next time, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you then.